You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. The view from our side of the cockpit door. WAPG. It's the Airline Pilot Guy. Airline Pilot Guy episode 482. Hello, you're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show, the view from our side of the cockpit door with your host, Captain Jeff, broadcasting live from Studio 1A at APG headquarters in Roswell, Georgia. Today's show is recorded on the 21st of July, 2021. Today's episode, a passenger stuck in an airliner with no AC at Moscow's main airport opens an emergency hatch to cool off. A family sues American Airlines for ruining their last big vacation with a rough aborted landing. More news, your feedback, and today's plane tale. So get all settled in. Tray tables and seat backs in the upright and locked positions. Electronic devices powered on. I'm Radio Roger, and Flight 482 is ready for pushback. Thank you, Radio Roger. He's an award-winning TV and radio reporter currently at the number one all-news station in the nation. 1010 wins in New York City. You're listening to the Airline Pilot Guy Show. It's an aviation podcast covering the latest in aviation news and answering your great feedback. I'm Captain Jeff, a pilot at a major legacy airline based in Atlanta, GA. And joining me today from his studio... In Hartford, Hereford, and Hampshire. We have a professional photographer, former RAF, RAAF fighter pilot, retired Airbus A330, A340 captain for Virgin Atlantic Airways. It's Captain Nick. (laughs) Your timing is perfect, as usual, Jeff. Uh, But this week, I can offer uh, only an apology for what is going to come your way from the United Kingdom. Uh Uh-oh. Hmm. Here's our guest host music, and from or let's introduce him as a former RAF bomber puke and former captain for a couple of Far East airlines, Hong Kong Nigel, sitting right there next to Captain Nick in his studio. All right. Well, I'm on my last trip too, and I'm going to sue you for that, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck. You're not going to get much. All right. Well, hello. How's everybody doing? Oh, we're having a great time. Okay. Well, we're going to learn more about Nigel. If you don't know Nigel, uh, consider yourself lucky. Uh, We'll hear more about him and learn more about him after we do the news. So let's get right to it. Stand by for news. First item in our news segment is this. Accident Asila, S-I-L-A, Antonov AN-28 at Bakar. Uh, registration 28728, performing a flight from Kadrovi to Tomsk, Russia, with 15 passengers and four crew. Was en route about 100 uh, nautical miles west of Tomsk when radio and radar contact was lost. 
let's see. The signal of an ELT was picked up afterwards in the vicinity of the village of Bakar. Rescue and re- recovery teams are on their way to the site. Well, they were. They already reached there. We'll learn that here in a second. The aircraft was found upside down. Everyone survived. One of the pilots received a serious injury, a broken leg. All others escaped with minor or no injuries. According to initial information, the crew did not report any problems or anomalies with the flight. The crew performed a forced landing in an open area following uh, at least one failed engine. A number of Russian media reported quoting survivors both engines of the aircraft had failed. The rescue operation had been completed. Twelve people are being flown to Tomsk via Tomsk via a helicopter. The rest are taken to Tomsk via bus. Russia's MAK opened an investigation into the accident, stating that the aircraft carried two pilots, two technicians, and 15 passengers. There were no fatalities. The aircraft sustained sustained substantial damage. A commission has been formed to investigate the accident. And now here we have some photos of the accident site with the airplane on its back. Another, here's a better one, a little bit clearer, better exposure. Um. Yeah, look like maybe a kind of a bumpy landing, perhaps. Yeah. Looks pretty rough terrain, doesn't it? Yeah. Um. So that's all we know about this at this point. Um. That is that the pilot having a a smoke uh <laughs> near, <could> be. <laughs> next to the crash there. <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I don't know what's going on there, but uh, a big smoke. Yeah. So he's having a big smoke. It says. <laughs> right. Thinking this might be the one of the last ones I have. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it's it's great that everyone got out alive, but uh, mm. looking at it initially, you'd think uh, there are going to be very serious injuries in there. And obviously, mm-hmm. got the front broke his leg, I understand that. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, good job on the forced landing. Um, you know, these, uh, these things are n- never guaranteed to be safe. Um, yeah. I, I'm just wondering that, you know, um, 12 of them were taken by helicopter and the rest were put in a bus. So is that the first-class passengers in the <laughs> Probably. economy or what? I would imagine the ones that were more badly bruised were the ones that were taken uh, by helicopter. Okay. Yeah, that, that, I guess that would make sense. I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, because it did say that uh, there was on, really only one injury, serious injury, which was the uh, captain with a broken leg. So yeah. I don't know. Well, I guess we're going to have to just wait and see if we find a, or have an update on this story. So mm-hmm. let's um, go ahead and move on to the second item in our news notebook. And it is this. Uh, crash Petropavlovsk Kamchatsky uh, Antonov AN26 near Palana on July 6th. We talked about this on our last episode, there is an update to this. This is, uh, you'll recall, the airplane was uh, flying some kind of an instrument approach into the airport, and we weren't sure. We were speculating about what kind of an approach he was flying. Yeah, because he, he hit the ground at a position that wasn't really on any of the approach uh, tracks. Yes. Well, it turns out that they were uh, performing an NDB approach to runway 29 in poor weather conditions. The aircraft had overflown the NDB, followed the NDB procedure outbound, and after turning in, collided with the steep rocky shore at about 3.6 kilometers from the airdrome. The aircraft was found completely destroyed with all occupants killed. At the time of the accident, the following weather conditions were observed at Palana Aerodrome. Uh, winds from 250 at 13 knots, visibility 10 kilometers. 
However, there was fog in the vicinity of the aerodrome, clouds ceiling 300 meters, which is 1,000 feet approximately, overcast at 720 meters, 2,400 feet, temperature 10 degrees C, dew point 8, and let's see, the aircraft uh, commander had 3,300 plus hours of experience, the first officer 1,100 hours plus and the commander was certified to fly down to 60 by 800 meters. I'm not sure. What does that mean? <laughs> Is that the size of the runway he's allowed to land on? <laughs> that's that's so, what it looks like to me. I don't know why that's significant. Uh, anyway. I don't understand that one. They threw that one that in there. Don't get that. No. Yeah. Well, so on July 17th, Rosa Biazia reported that after the first readout of the black boxes, the aircraft had reached the NDB, crossing the NDB at 800 meters of altitude. Okay, that's good. Uh, turned outbound for the NDB procedure with the intention to visually circle for runway 29 following the NDB procedure. The controller told the crew they were on a bearing of 340 degrees rather than the 289 bearing instructed by the NDB procedure. And we kind of made note of that last week, right, Nick? We said, what is yeah. he doing way up there when yeah, the he, course he, is he supposed crashed to... Yeah. well to the north of uh, uh, any of the known procedure tracks. Right. And the crew acknowledged that um, uh, communication from the controller and then they reported they were descending to 600 meters, which I think would, they'd still be okay uh, yeah, uh, at 600 meters. Feet. Yeah, I think that yeah. was probably right. Uh, but they did not report reaching 600 meters and did not ask for further descent. The aircraft performed base and final turns. The flight data recorder did not re uh, record the release of landing gear or flaps. The aircraft arrived uh, at a heading of 140 degrees, about 12 kilometers from the aerodrome after rolling out of the final turn and headed directly towards the aerodrome. About one minute prior to the collision with the terrain, the last communication between aircraft and controller took place. The controller informed them that they were on a bearing of 320 degrees, uh, about nine kilometers from the aerodrome. The terrain at the point of impact is 260 meters high, covered with trees. Uh, Rosa Viazia recommended, amongst others, to review the crash of, and I did not review, there was a crash... Um, 28715 on September 12th of 2012 to assess the implementation of recommendations of flight safety. But it looks like to me they uh, didn't level at 600 meters, continued to descend. Maybe they were distracted trying to figure out, you know, where they were as far as the bearing from the airport and they flew right into that cliff. Yeah, I, it looks. I don't know how you transpose the correct bearings for the ones they were on. No, but it sounds like they were flying the procedure, but displaced by about uh, fifty degrees. Mm -hmm. um, could it be a, a compass misread, um, something like that? I don't know the sophistication of the navigation equipment on this aircraft, but I don't know. Something um, led them astray. I, I, I'd be surprised if they did it by accident because uh, you know these things are pretty easy to read mm -hmm. the, the charts that is uh, well you know maybe you know one of the things that we read last week was that uh, the rnav rnp approaches were no tammed out of service until after this accident uh and perhaps this caught them off guard and all of a sudden they thought oh, heck we got to do an ndb approach uh procedure and uh, maybe they weren't very proficient. Apparently, they weren't at how to fly an NDB approach. I don't know. I would I would well, think that 
they would be probably pretty good at it because I would imagine a lot of the airports they fly to have, you know, a rudimentary approach like this NDB approach yeah. procedure. I mean, NDB is uh, notorious for having a, a, a plethora of uh, errors that you can have. Um, and also, uh, you know, the surprising number of aircraft accidents are because of the uh, ADF equipment in the aircraft um, failing. Um, but, uh, you know, you should have two sets. Uh, I don't know if this aircraft does, but a, a slightly stuck aerial, uh, something could uh, give them a misread of their uh, equipment. I, I'm, I don't know. Yeah, no ideas. Nigel, you have any ideas? No, uh, sometimes if you're used to uh, LNAV, LNAV type approaches, if you're stuck with an NDB, you might just um, build your own profile. So maybe the first officer try to build a profile, oh. get some assistance from the FMS, and uh, just put it in the wrong place. And uh, they got confused between the two, and they pressed over flying to a cliff. Oh. I'm a bit perturbed about the height as well, because um, you sort of only descend down to the height when you're definitely on the final track, and you don't you don't start losing altitude unless you're pretty established on within, say, five degrees of the final track. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it almost seems like there was some kind of a distraction or confusion going on in the cockpit, and somebody forgot to mind the store when it comes to altitudes. Yeah. yeah. Well, either that or they had an instrument uh, failure, and they yeah. thought they were on the correct inbound track, so mm -hmm. they started their descent. Or pilot incapacitation. You don't know what was going on in the cockpit. And Gustav uh, has a good question for us. How difficult is it for you pilots to switch from one kind of approach to another uh, on, sort, uh, on such short notice? And, uh, well, one of the things that we, a good practice or best practice is to be able to completely brief uh, an approach. And so if at the last second you're faced with having to uh, fly a different type of approach than you were expecting or had briefed, then you should take the time to go somewhere, uh, get vectors or holding or something so that you can actually properly prepare for an approach. So um, it's it's definitely something that happens, not, I wouldn't say routinely, but it does happen on occasion. And you just have to uh, just take the time necessary to properly brief an approach. Yeah, and I mean, it happens all the time in the sim because generally speaking, mm -hmm. you'll be, you know, doing one approach, then you'll be asked to go around and switch to another approach. It's almost a standard profile. Uh, so, you know, you're used to uh, one of you setting up the approach and the other one looking at the charts, and uh, then you have a quick rebrief. It all takes a little while, but, um, you know, generally speaking, you can throw an orbit or go into a holding pattern if you're pushed for you know if you're not getting everything done in time so that you can complete it all safely um it's, it's, it's something that happens reasonably regularly so it's not like we're not used to it right and then you know sometimes you're not absolutely positive which one that you're going to be assigned until you get a little bit closer so you might you might um 
was that? I don't know. Uh, was it, is that coming from you, Liz? Sorry, that was my no. watch. Oh, okay. To, uh, <laughs> yeah. He was offering an opinion. What does your watch think it. about this situation? <laughs> yeah, well, more than Nick. Yeah, probably more than me, yes. Uh, but anyway, as I was going to say, uh, sometimes if you're not sure if, if they're going to be doing the uh, RNAV, RMP, or an ILS, you, you might brief both of them. It's just so you have some, you know, uh, rudimentary idea of the differences and that sort of thing. Uh, the other, uh, but good point made, uh, Nigel, uh, regarding the the possibility that somebody had tried to build the approach in the flight management system uh, to give a nice display on their primary uh, navigational display, and perhaps uh, they, you know, did the wrong thing, and and uh, you know. That, that definitely not using the primary instrument, which would be the uh, ADF for uh, guidance. So keep it simple. Yep, exactly. All right, let's continue with the uh, next item here, and this is uh, Russia. Well, yeah, this is, seems to be a theme this week. Russia a passenger in Moscow opens plane's emergency exit door to get fresh air. A man who is forced to stay on board a plane with broken air conditioning. <laughs> and of course, everybody always says that they were on stuck on the tarmac uh, and they didn't turn the air conditioning on or the air conditioning was broken. But in this case, maybe maybe it was. I don't know. Who's to say? Um, so he was uh, forced to stay aboard a plane uh, with broken air conditioning. He opened the emergency exit hatch in order to let some fresh air in, according to reports. The incident occurred on the 11th of July at the Shremetyo. airport in the Russian capital of Moscow. Perfect. Thank you, Controller Vlad. Uh, according to MASH, uh, I think that must be some kind of a media outlet. I'm not sure. Uh, the flight from Moscow to the Turkish city of Antalya, well, Antalya, I guess, um, mm -hmm. was severely delayed with the plane's air conditioning also not working as it remained on the runway. For around two hours, the passengers were forced to stay on the plane. Videos obtained by 360 TV show passengers fanning themselves as they struggled to stay cool inside the plane, with temperatures reaching around 86 degrees Fahrenheit in Moscow on Sunday. Yeah, so it would have been a lot more, um, a lot higher temperature inside the aircraft. It's reported that some passengers even fainted as a result of the heat inside the aircraft. Eventually, one man, identified by Channel 5 as 42-year-old Vladimir Kuznetsov, Kuznetsov, Kuznetsov. Kuznetsov, cried out, I will not wait, and opened the plane's emergency exit in order to let in some fresh air. Video from the scene shows the plane's inflatable emergency ladder on the asphalt of the runway after being deployed when Kuznetsov allegedly opened the door. Unfortunately, we don't have that photo here in the uh, report. The incident meant that the plane was replaced. The passenger's journey was delayed for a few more hours. Uh, Kuznetsov reported to be a lecturer at the Moscow Tchaikovsky Conservatory is facing a fine from Rossiya airlines after allegedly opening them the emergency hatch and uh the airline didn't um they have been con contacted for comment but they uh, apparently had not commented by the time this was released so uh, yeah that's an interesting wasn't it uh, i've had a few cases where we've been stuck on the ground unable uh, to start the apu or 
having no air conditioning available because of a, a technical problem. And the airplanes can heat up extremely fast uh, and without some way, um, you know, to keep everyone cool, it becomes pretty unbearable in the back there. Um, so, you know, you, the captain really is, you know, if it's if he's got to go by what the crew are telling him, if the passengers are becoming uh, so distressed that uh, they're likely to do something like this, he really should have, uh, you know, either started his engines and uh, run the aircon for a while, put the packs on and cooled the damn thing down. He, then perhaps you shut it down for a while if you're worried about using too much fuel, but you can't just sit and cook all your passengers. On the other hand, uh, you know, <laughs> the emergency exit is... <laughs> not an ideal way to cool off anyway. And I, you know, I'm not convinced because I mean, I have, it's, I've had situations and I'm sure you have both of you as well, where, you know, you, people think that you're sitting out there on the taxiway, um, you know, for some sort of delay and they're thinking, why aren't they turning on the air conditioning? Well, a lot of times with the very high temperatures, uh, ambient temperatures uh, with your air conditioning uh, system, full cold, uh, it, it sometimes can't keep up with it and it might feel like the air conditioning is not working or is off, but uh, we don't do that on purpose. It's just sometimes you, you don't cool off until the airplane's actually in the air. The engines are performing more thrust and you're getting up into the atmosphere and it's a little bit cooler, you know, once you get away from the ground. Um, anyway, uh, some low cost airlines would beg to differ. Uh, Owen says differ about what the, um, I guess not sure. I guess using uh, using the APU or engines to cool the cabin because uh, yeah. it wastes money. Yeah. Well, that that cost them more money, didn't it? Really, <laughs> yes, in the end. Did. And the guy achieved his objective. Uh, they all got out and walked across and went to another airplane, so they yeah. cooled down. Win win. <laughs> 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 yes. Not really, Absolutely. but um, uh, Nigel was suggesting that he might have had a flatulent passenger beside him. But I, oh, I now like why would me. he? Con- why would he even think of something like that? Like, oh, yeah, no, I bringing he... it back to a serious note, in the jumbo, <laughs> um, I wouldn't board the passengers until we got the cabin temperature down to 29 degrees. If okay. say it had been 34, because you shove another 350 people in the jet and uh, cooling just can't cope and it just gets too hot down the back. It just goes up before you can start the engines. And another point, which I think, uh, one of you touched on, and that's it's communication. The captain has to make sure people know what's going on, but you can only take him so far. What was that, three hours? I'm not surprised he did it, honestly. Yeah. No. Heat stress. Absolutely. Good point. Communication. That's kind of a common theme in our show. It's important. Yeah. All right. And it's important on the other, you know, both ends of the communication. Let the pilots know in the cockpit that, the the airplane's just unbearably hot and we're about to have an incident if you don't do something about it. Looks out. All right, uh, next one here. Uh, update regarding the uh, British Airways 787 nose gear collapse at Heathrow. Uh, special bulletin put out by the Air Accidents Investigation Branch. Uh, let's see, here's some data regarding the, um, the crew, etc. Let's see. 
AAIB field investigation whilst the aircraft was being loaded with cargo in preparation for a flight to Frankfurt and while carrying out a dispatch deviation guide procedure to clear maintenance messages related to an existing acceptable deferred defect, an ADD, the nose landing gear retracted. This caused damage to the lower nose, nose landing gear doors, and engine cowlings. Door number two, uh, door 2L, struck the top of the mobile steps, which resulted in the door separating from the fuselage. That was one thing we were wondering about, whether or not the door was um, ripped off, and apparently it was. And uh, one person operating the cargo loader positioned at the forward cargo hold received minor injuries. The special bulletin contains facts which have been determined up to the time of issue. It is published to inform the aviation industry and the public of the general circumstances of accidents and serious incidents and should be regarded as tentative and subject to alteration or correction if additional evidence becomes available. The DDG procedure required the cockpit landing gear selection lever to be cycled with hydraulic power applied to the aircraft. To prevent the landing gear from retracting, the procedure requires pins to be inserted in the nose and main landing gear downlocks. However, the nose landing gear downlock pin was installed in the nose landing gear downlock apex pin bore, which was adjacent to the correct location to install the downlock pin. And here's a... Uh, an image that shows the proper positioning on the left side of uh, the uh, nose landing gear downlock pin. And then it also points out the apex pin bore, which is just, I don't know, maybe an inch or two to the left. Uh, I'm not sure, you know, the scale here, very close to um, where, uh, you know, the proper location, this apex pin bore <laughs> looks really even much more inviting to me. That looks like a the right hole to put that thing in. It does. <laughs> so they put speak. a nice black ring around it <laughs> saying, stick your pin here. Yeah, pretty so, much. Uh, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, these little, uh, these little um, notations that we're seeing on the image weren't there <laughs> inside the <laughs> nose landing gear well. <laughs> and no, they weren't. Um, let's see when the landing gear selector was cycled, the nose landing gear retracted and they have a lot more detail here about uh, several mechanics engineers were working on this and they were communicating well. And in fact, the, uh, the head, uh, lead engineer, um, I think went out of his way to, uh, communicate with the mechanics that were down in the nose landing gear area to ensure that they did have the nose landing gear and all the other uh, gear pins installed and they, they, they confirmed it. And, uh, this is an interesting note as mechanic one was not tall enough to reach the nose landing gear locking pin hole without steps. He pointed to the location of the hole and the second mechanic fitted the nose landing gear locking pin. So that's a, definitely a factor. Perhaps uh, it wasn't communicated well enough to uh, mechanic two. Uh, which hole to put the pin in. And uh, let's see, from his position next to the nose landing gear on the left side of the aircraft, Mechanic 1 visually checked that he could see the warning flags for each of the landing gear locking pins. Well, that's just not good enough because, as I mentioned, the wrong hole, the apex pin bore, uh, was just literally an inch or two away from the correct location. So that little streamer hanging down uh, the flag uh, is going to look the same, whether, you know, you have it in the right hole or not. Right. Yeah, that's exactly. what she said. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, and that's what Liz no, has been no saying point. in my ears for 
uh, almost the entire time we've been uh, talking about. No, I'm just kidding. I mean, there's no point just gesticulating and pointing at the hole. You've got to watch the guy put the pin in and mm -hmm. make sure it's gone in the correct hole. So, you know, oh, stick it in there and walk away. It's, it's just not good enough if the guy's unsure. Yep. Uh, and I note that they had a uh, uh, an airworthiness directive uh, that the apex bore, sorry, pin bore, uh, was supposed to have uh, an insert over it to prevent the incorrect installation of the downlock pin. Wonder where that uh, was. That was issued in January 2020 and had a 36 month compliance. So they were still uh -huh. within their 36 month. But you have to ask yourself, why not do it? in the first six months or the first year because, you know, now it's come in to bite them, having hung around until towards the end of this compliance period, they've now got a major problem. Yep. Yeah, a lot more expensive than getting the little plastic yeah. <laughs> thing that you stick in to prevent somebody from using that as the proper nose lining gear bypass. Exactly. Yeah. Taking the knee is a big uh, issue over here. It's good to see British Airways joining in. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's thank you, Liz. She said we're half an hour into the show and I'm going to share the screen for the next news item. And you should be able to see that right now. The FAA grounds Transair following the Hawaii ocean ditching. And this is from Simple Flying. The FAA has granted the Hawaiian Hawaiian cargo airline Transair, while it comes after one of its aircraft was forced to ditch in the ocean near Honolulu's International Airport, the FAA told Simple Flying that the action was unrelated to the ongoing investigation into the accident. Um, after an airline has a significant accident, it's typical for aviation authorities to take a close look at the airline. However, it seems that Transair had been in the FAA's sights for some time. As of last night, the airline's remaining operational Boeing 737-200 is now grounded. Oh, they only had one left. Uh, it wouldn't be totally unexpected to think that the FAA had grounded Transair due to the ditching on July 2nd. However, the FAA said this is not the case. According to the FAA, it had been investigating Rhodes Aviation, who operate Transair since last fall. The agency told us that it had warned Rhodes Aviation of an intention to stop the airline from completing its own maintenance inspections following the FAA's investigation. As the airline didn't ask the FAA to reconsider within 30 days, the action is going ahead. Last night, the FAA told Rhodes Aviation that it wouldn't be able to conduct its own maintenance inspections from midnight local time. This in turn means that the airline cannot legally operate as the inspection authorization is required for operations. The decision will now not be reviewed until the airline complies with the FAA's regulations. Well, what a damn shame they didn't do that a week or two earlier. Yeah. Timing's everything in aviation, right? Absolutely. All right. Yeah. Um, and this, this is uh, going to be a fun one, I think, to uh, discuss. It's the last item in our news notebook today. A North Carolina family. Uh, had planned a once-in-a-lifetime vacation to Las Vegas, Hawaii, uh, Las Vegas, Hawaii, and Los Angeles in what they expected to be their last big vacation together. 
But their plans went sideways when their American Airlines flight attempted to land in Las Vegas, according to a lawsuit filed July 6th in Mecklenburg County Superior Court. The four family members are now suing the airline for more than $100,000. The lawsuit alleges that the turbulent landing forced them to seek medical help and cancel much of their trip. That's interesting. Cancel much of their trip. Hmm. Roger Brunton and Don Rippey Brunton of Cleveland County took off from Charlotte Douglas International Airport on June 5th, 2019, for a trip with her parents, Diane and Harold Lee Rippey Jr., who live in Gaston County. They expected this to be their last major trip together because of the uh, older couple's age, according to the lawsuit. Instead of lightly landing on the Las Vegas runway, the plane ricocheted off the tarmac. Ricochet! (laughs) Show title, ricocheted (laughs) off the tarmac and careened back into the air, the lawsuit alleges. The aircraft then suddenly and violently rolled to the left, then rolled back to the right and started to roll left again before aboarding the landing and climbing back into the sky. Well, you're thinking, well, so... You know, that happens on occasion. (laughs) Two couples had their seatbelts fastened at the time, they claim, but the plane's violent movements hurled them around the cabin, (laughs) hurled them around the cabin, causing the injuries, according to the lawsuit. These are really stretchy seatbelts, apparently. (laughs) Uh, The aircraft ultimately made a safe landing, at which point the four family members sought medical care. The family was forced to cancel many of their planned activities because of their injuries, according to the lawsuit. Again, they were forced to cancel many of their planned activities. Seems to me. None of of the injuries were detailed. Yeah, none of the uh, injuries are detailed in the filing. They're asking $25,000 each for pain and suffering. But I just think it's interesting they said that they had to cancel much of the activities but it sounds to me like they went ahead and continued on from las vegas to hawaii well Um, just imagine how much they'd be claiming if they canceled all of their activities exactly oh so i see you're saying that american airlines is getting off the hook easy here i think so definitely (laughs) particularly the captain i think he ought to be held personally responsible it ought to come out of his pension i'm sure it will (laughs) I'm sure it will. <laughs> Monthly paycheck, I think. Yeah, mon- yeah. yeah. You know, uh, I I think that uh, sadly, uh, most of the uh, at least the most most of the major legacy carriers here in the United States and probably all around the world are probably just going to going to settle with these people because it's yeah. going to cost way more money to fight this in court and everything else. So, sadly, uh, these folks, you know, uh, I don't. Did you really think they had a you know severe injury or any kind of injury at all? I don't know. It just well, I, I guess it's it's up to the court to decide. But uh, I I'm a little bit concerned that uh, that they seem to uh, deduce that the pilot was acting recklessly and was being seduced, which I oh. think is a bit of a stretch uh, by a get there at all costs mentality where do they get that from oh what that's possible? me all the time get there at all costs <laughs> even if it means yeah. injuring all the passengers for exactly sure exactly right so i'm just trying to work out where on earth you get the proof uh, in court to make you know make that stand up and neville we are making note of uh comments made such as yours <laughs> he says isn't this a normal approach for captain jeff <laughs> Well, Not funny. Mike, Mike Carroll would funny. say so. Um, but, yeah. you know, you, I sort of 
secretly admire it in a way because this was going to be the last holiday that they could do together. Now, if they got another 100,000 bucks, they can do it again tomorrow. Yes. I think yes. it's quite they good. Have two last good point. Days. Go business class. And fly down to Elta this time. So Exactly. Acme. Um, fly Acme. Or Acme. <laughs> One of or those. even Acme. Um, oh, no, I wouldn't fly Acme, no. Jeff flies for Acme. <laughs> yeah, you're putting your life, definitely putting your life in in my hands, which is not a good thing. Anyway, so I thought that would be an interesting one to discuss. Liz did yeah. as well. Yeah, just oh, like, no. come on. You really? It's interesting they waited two years. Give us a break, did. folks. Yeah, Liz says she found it interesting that they waited two years to file this complaint. What? Yeah. 2019? Oh, well, yeah, that's 2019. Well, apparently they weren't that upset about it until just recently. Oh, yeah. Uh, probably the statute of limitations was approaching for filing. For, for right. bad landings. I didn't know there was a statute of limitations. <laughs> I know. I was landings. hoping there would be one. I'd say 48 hours. retired, Mick? Yeah. <laughs> Not long enough, <laughs> All right. It's now time for that part of the show where we kind of get all caught up with what everyone has been doing between shows. And let's see. Let's start with the two gentlemen. And I use that term very, very liberally, uh, seated in the <laughs> studio in Hampshire. Well, that's a good idea. And I have to say that uh, we can both chime in on this because I've just had the most brilliant long weekend um, up near, um, I, I keep remembering the name of the local town. Hereford and Hampshire, I told you. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Tad Caster, no? Tad Hampton, Tad? I'm, I'm not going to say on air where it is, otherwise I'll get a queue of other people. It was bad enough Neville coming along. Exactly. Right. <laughs> you don't want to let Neville know where you, anywhere <laughs> you live. He joined us. So, uh, so well, that's right. He knows. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> Sorry. Somebody organized a reunion of uh-huh. uh, some of us who had um, been on the same QFI course together, uh, and um, you know, started started our tour at uh, RAF Valley as fast jet instructors. Uh, and he would be sitting beside me, and then oh. you know, I took full advantage, unlike some of the others. And, uh, you know, stayed the entire uh, long weekend, Friday through to Monday, and had a great time. The weather was beautiful. There was plenty of uh, booze to go around. Uh, Food was lovely. uh, And the company, superb. So it really was uh, a lovely time. And um, I was unexpectedly, um, after a particularly bad uh, bout of first night madness, um, sleeping off in the afternoon, a bit of, uh, <laughs> yeah. What are you laughing uh, at? A little bit of a hangover. <laughs> I have no we, idea where you got those from. We have some photographic evidence of uh, your time. I, I just, <laughs> I'd just like to point out that the very top photo in the right-hand corner, I had to judiciously edit to cut off the bit that's just out of shot. Yeah, well, there you go. <laughs> There's a lot of tackle. <laughs> Well, wow. not that much tackle. That's what she said. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Nigel's jealous of of the quantity of my tackle. But there you go. Um, it was indeed. I was taking some of those very strong painkillers that had been uh, given to me. That's my excuse. I'm sticking to and it. There was no drinking involved, was there? Uh, well, there was a little bit. A little bit. Uh, you don't remember me t- mentioning that uh, uh, Nigel very kindly shared uh, a lovely cognac uh, called Remy Martin with me 
uh, when we used to come back uh, during our QFI course, cold and mm-hmm. stiff and, you know, tired on our motorcycles, and we'd quaff this nectar. Uh, he said, well, if there's one thing you do want to bring, bring a bottle of that. So I, I bought a bottle of that up. Uh, that consisted 28 units of alcohol. 28, yeah. And there are only yeah. two of us. And there are only two of us. So. <laughs> and how long did it take to uh, consume? Until uh, one third in the morning, apparently. Yeah. Oh, my. We, yes, we believe it. And that was after an evening of beer and wine. So we, you know, when we settled into our after-dinner drinks, uh, sadly, that bottle, I, all I can say is that I don't remember it evaporating that fast in the old days. They must have some new constituent in it. So it, it sounds to me like the the drinking uh, that took place uh, this past weekend um, it far exceeded the amount of alcohol consumed uh, in Miami in twenty sixteen <laughs> yeah. January uh, twenty sixteen might have done, but the yeah. effect was very similar. Jeff. Okay. Yeah, the, certainly the effect on you. <laughs> oh my, yeah. I had not had that much to drink uh, for for many many years, decades. <laughs> exactly. All I can say, I was I was very glad I wasn't required to do anything uh, of any note the next day, mm-hmm. except that I had uh, decided to put my head on the pillow in the afternoon, and uh, all of a sudden I was rudely woken by some delivery man pitching up. Um. And and I'm going, oh, what the hell? Like, and he's he's got this dreadful accent, and he's claiming he's got a parcel for Mister Demurry, and I'm going, well, he's standing right beside you. Why have you woken me up? And I'm all <laughs> dazed and confused. Anyway, uh, eventually, when he took off his disguise. I was still none the wiser. <laughs> 40 years. Ah, you've yeah. aged well, Barry. Yes. And the years have treated and you kindly. It was the fourth <laughs> member of our course. Uh, but, yes, sadly, I, the, I, was, I wasn't expecting him to be there. And uh, I oh. was a little bit taken a little back by his beard, which he didn't have before. Uh-huh. <laughs> so anyway, um, we ended up with all four of us there, uh, certainly for a while. So it was absolutely brilliant. And uh, and th- many thanks, Nigel, for uh, fixing that up, treating us time. for a lovely Sunday lunch out of the local pub. Uh, so we had uh, a very good time. And we even managed to record a plain tale. Now, the audio is brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we can still understand what you guys are yeah, saying, that, so it's not that bad. That's the main thing. So, yeah, uh, yeah that, that has been a fantastic weekend. So, brilliant. Excellent. Lovely. Well, Nigel, please tell everyone I, who might not have, uh, know yeah. who you are uh, a little bit I, about yourself. Uh, sorry, um, I'm Nick's sidekick. And uh, I'm here to keep the air fresh in the studio. <laughs> um, and as I think Nick's already said, we've sort of known each other. He, he, I met him on officer training <laughs> on a parade ground, and he was a parade commander of Yellow Squadron, and we were in Blue Squadron. So actually we were enemies until we got to Jet Provost, and then uh, he introduced me to my lovely wife 45 uh, years ago now, actually. August bank holiday, and uh, we're still together, and he's still together with his wife, so we sort of kept together over the years on and off, and whenever I've had an important event in my life, <laughs> Nick has always been there like, 
I got fired. Nick was there, ejected from an aeroplane. Nick was there. You know, Nick's Nick's been around, uh, and we sort of get together like today. He, he doesn't know that I organised most of these events that uh, occurred, but I just wanted to be there to witness, witness what I, what occurred afterwards. You you organised his ejection. Yeah, he he. Well, I won't go there. It, it's not hard. All you need is a long piece of string attached to the ejection handle. Okay. Yeah. That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. Well, uh, I, I look forward to uh, listening to this week's uh, installment of The Plain Tales, which is going to, uh, we're, we're going to get a little bit of a taste of what it must have been like this past weekend with the four of you together. Absolutely. Uh, we do that con- constantly the whole time we were there. Uh-huh. <laughs> we cleaned it up for The Plain Tales. Yeah. Yeah. That was the only thing we had to do. Yeah. Stop, stop swearing, guys. I'm going to record this bit. <laughs> you guys swearing? Come on. That no, can't be right. No, it was great. All right. Um, uh, because uh, Nigel's only here today because uh, he took his Harley Davidson for a ride and it took them so long to get to their destination, which I believe was on the South Coast. Yeah, Healing Island near the Isle of Wight off the South Coast. There you go. That he decided he couldn't make it all the way back home and he was feeling a bit weary, so he'd pop mm-hmm. in and spend the night. So no, 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 the real reason was he drank all my beer, so I came to get some back in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. Well, I'm so glad that that worked out uh, this way because uh, it's always nice to have you on the show. Thank you. Much, and much. Uh, let's see, I um, was able to, you know, I'm not, uh, I'm still haven't flown since the uh, trip at the beginning of the month, uh, but I did get the chance to meet up with someone who is uh, a host of his own podcast called the Plane Safety Podcast. Pilot Pip uh, was going through Atlanta on the way to uh, Columbus for his uh twice yearly training, recurrent training at uh, Safe Jets. And uh, we, I went, well, here, I think we talk about it here in this little bit of audio feedback. So let me play that. And Liz, we have some overlays if you might want it. Okay. Well, hello, friends. Uh, We are here in, uh, I think it's called College Park right here in this area, very close to the Atlanta International Airport. And I'm with someone who just flew in today. And uh, we just finished a wonderful meal at uh, the Brake Pad, I think they call mm-hmm. it. Had a couple of uh, Scofflaw basement IPAs and uh, some good burgers and uh, brisket. And here is the mystery guest, Pip. Well, hello, y'all. That's a terrible American accent. Oh, I apologize, everyone. Oh, it's very, very convincing. I apologize. Yeah, hi. Um, it's so lovely to be here, here with Jeff. We, like you said, we just had a lovely meal. Uh, I just flew in uh, from London this morning, going to Columbus for my usual six-monthly sim thing. And Jeff was good enough to come out to the hotel and, and uh, pick me up and uh, took me out to dinner. And um, we've uh, had a really nice time, a couple of tasty beverages. Uh, we've gossip, you know, we've talked about all you lot. Oh, you're not supposed to talk about that. Okay, we didn't talk about you lot. We talked about something else. Well, we did, but it was all good stuff, positive. Mostly good stuff. Yeah, most, mostly, mostly good, good stuff, yeah. yeah. Um, and it's been a real pleasure. It's so nice to see you. Great to see you as well. Well, thank you. Yeah, we had a great time, great food, great drink, and great conversation, for the most part. Uh, back to you in the studio, Jeff. 
Well, thank you, Pip. And uh, there's a little uh, snapshot of uh, us as we parted our ways, uh, you know, kissing, giving each other a nice little little peck. Very French. Yes, yes, yes. Neither of you are French, are you? (laughs) It was not a French kiss, though, I should uh, add. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Uh, In fact, there was no physical contact whatsoever, just to be clear. Uh, Why are you crying? um, Am I crying? Well, in the other picture. Oh, in the other picture? Well, can you can you tell why? Uh, Liz, can you show the other one? There we go. I'm crying because, look, the the it's glass empty. is oh, empty. is that what they see? Ah, right. Yeah, I was Fair sad enough. because all the beer is gone. And Pip's happy because he drank it. Uh, I'm not sure why. <laughs> I think, you know, some people are like a little, you know, challenged mentally. Uh, Schadenfreude. They always have he, a, he's, a he's smile. reveling in the schadenfreude of your despair. <laughs> exactly. Actually, I think that he is, uh, go back to that uh, overlay again, Liz. I think that he is looking at the reflection of a young lady behind us. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's why he's smiling. I'm not sure. Could I don't be. Know. Could be. You know, you never know with Pip. Anyway, it was great seeing you, Pip, if you're listening. And uh, you really, if you haven't listened to the Plane Safety Podcast, you really should, especially their last episode, which was very uh, entertaining and informative. And it uh, basically the uh, longtime co-host with Pip is Captain Al. And the two of them kind of express what uh, the pandemic year has meant for them as far as their aviation careers. And it's kind of a a, what does he say? A tale of two careers, a tale of two cities sort of thing. A uh, little bit different. Um, so it was a very interesting um, episode. So check it out. Plane Safety Podcast. And uh, hope, oh, the, the next day, uh, Pip was able to uh, get together with Dispatcher Mike. And I think they did some top golf and, and some other shenanigans uh, before Pip uh, had to catch his ride uh, up to Ohio for his training. So uh, it looks like, based on some of the photos I've seen on the social meds, looks like they had a great time. What's pop golf? Uh, top golf, T O P, top. All right. What's top golf? Oh, it's like these uh, this this company that uh, makes the is like a driving range, except that it's like an amusement park driving range and bar ah, okay. and. Um, honestly, I've never been to one myself. I've only heard about it and seen pictures of it and Steph videos. Steph loves to go to, go to Top Golf, and um, yeah, so she can so probably is it tell more us a little fun bit more. than trying to hit the bloke who drives around in the little cart picking up all the balls. I think that they kind of try to make it that kind of atmosphere. Uh, I don't know okay. if they really have guys out there in the <laughs> thing with the caged. Uh, vehicle yeah. picking up balls but it's something similar i think steph will be able Absolutely. to tell us all about it um yeah as ne- neville says it's drinking with a small amount of golf yeah, so <laughs> yeah and steph oh, is on her way minutes, a wreck. oh but there's a wreck on the interstate that she's on she should be in about on about 45 minutes from now ah, after five or well, that's no good Oh, well, she can finish off the show, hasn't she? Yeah. Okay. Well, uh, Rick is not able to join us this week because of some home projects going on. I think that uh, they're getting uh, their home in the Valley of the Sun ready for uh, resale. And I believe he mentioned that, didn't he, Liz, on the last episode? Yes, yes, he did. Okay. So this is public knowledge that they're uh, going to be moving 
from the Valley of the Sun to the, to the coast s- of the space. Sunshine State, isn't it, uh, Florida the Sunshine State? Okay. And so, you know, the, the common theme here is sun, sunshine, that kind of thing. And uh, so uh, hope that uh, everything is going well with those renovations slash getting things spiffed up there um, for you all in Arizona. And uh, we hope that he'll be able to join us again on a future episode soon, hopefully. Uh, it, it'll it'll be just like being on the show, Jeff. He'll be sitting there watching the paint dry. <laughs> Okay, uh, that was Nick, <laughs> not me. I think you recognized his voice. All right, um, and that—that that is about it. I uh, don't have any trips scheduled until next month. Um, I'm officially going on vacation, <laughs> starting starting in—I don't know—on Saturday, I guess officially. And uh, next month, I'll resume flying and resume training. Uh, at the end of the month, I'm I'm set for recurrent training. And uh, some other things going on in my personal life that I really can't discuss at this time. So um, that's all I'll say about that. And let's see, I guess now would be a good time for us to transition to that part of the show that we call the Coffee Fund. Here we go. Johnny, how much more coffee? No thanks. I love coffee, I love tea, I love the APG community, coffee and tea, and the Java and me, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, a cup, oh yeah, that's Jeff Smith, jingle master extraordinaire, he's singing the Java Jive, the APG Java Jive, uh, which is uh, what we play while we're telling you all about the coffee fund and the coffee fund cadre a couple different ways to uh, support us financially and one is the coffee fund classic method and since the last episode these are all recurring donations from jenny parkinson chris randall and david lieb Uh, that's one way to do it the other is to become a patron of the show and since the last episode We have a couple of new patrons and, oh, actually more than a couple. We have a few. Uh, Producer level, uh, Jose Enriquez, uh, Rob Bacon, and Mark Killian. So thanks for becoming patrons of the show. That's where you can pledge a certain amount per episode. And uh, you have access to the crew logs and all that jazz. So please check out the Coffee Fund on AirlinePilotGuy.com dot com slash coffee you'll be glad you did and we will too captain incoming message i think i already know the answer to this question but uh do you either of you need to take a physiological break i think nick probably just took one <laughs> yes, oh, we're fine, thank you. That's his got a fighter pilot's bladder. It's very small. Am yes. I okay, Liz? Well, mentally, physically, emotionally, no. But I think I'm okay as far as <laughs> as far as uh, needing to use the restroom. I think we can keep going. Uh, yes, uh, Gustav, I'm still not going for the 737, 747, 757, 767, 777, the 87 route. 
that you suggested a while ago, because that is just, uh, it's easier said, and it's, trust me, it's not easy said, but it's easier said than done for sure. I guess the only Boeings that I'm going to have uh, listed as airplanes that I've flown are the Boeing 727 and the Boeing 717, sadly. Well, you know, I guess it's always, there's always a possibility I could add the 7576 to that um, list. Um, it's a possibility. Yeah, you seem to be going backwards in numbers. It'd be nice to go forwards again. Yeah, I know. It uh, It would be nice. I'm not sure I'm up for another full school uh, again, but um, you know, it might be a necessity for me. Who knows? We'll have to wait and see. But um, hopefully I can hang out on the 7-1 until my retirement, my mandatory retirement in just under two and a half years. Can you uh, guys fly commercially in the States after 65? Uh, no, not for a part 121. Uh, now, so you can't even fly as a um, systems engineer or something on the panel? Or we, you, you could, however, we don't have them like anymore. None of those positions are in existence as far as I know. Uh, but right. you can fly for a part 135 or part 91. Uh, so you can exercise your commercial privileges in that way and still make money flying um, beyond age 65 as long as you have a um, a um, valid medical certificate. Um, so, for instance, our good friend of the show and a uh, big part of the uh, APG community, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Jeff, we call him Colonel Jeff or the better, you know, the, the good looking Captain Jeff. Uh, who retired from American Airlines uh, last year, um, has flown already for a, a Part 135 private jet carrier flying the Falcon. So, um, yeah, it's it's definitely something you can continue to do. It's just not for the uh, scheduled air carriers. Well, the, if you don't get many more coffee bar fund contributions, you might have to. That's might ha- have well, a, I have a plan B, dude. Yeah, I mean, it's you never know. You know, yeah, life, know. you never know what life is going to present you with. Ain't that the truth. So uh, we'll, we'll have to wait and see. I would rather just drive around the country in my RV and, you know, just meet up with people and drink a lot of beer and do Thank podcast you. episodes. A bit like Nick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, let's uh, start with. Uh oh. You know what that means? Got some bad boys. Uh, this is from Nick, not Captain not Nick. Our Nick, not our Nick. Hi again, APG crew. Apologize. Uh, apologies. Oh, did I forget to read the first one? Okay, here is it. This news article was published in on the UK CAA website today, and I thought it may be worthy of discussion. Here, let me turn this music off. There we go. And he says, in summary, don't forge your ratings. The CAA will find you. Go well. Nick Arander or Arander. I'm not sure. How would you pronounce that, Liz? Arander. Arander. Okay. Uh, And then he sent a, in quick succession, sent us another uh, email. Hi again. Apologies for the second email in as many minutes. I just found this link. It appeared that this is not the first offense for the pilot in question. Perhaps it was this that put him under the spotlight. Okay, so uh, the first item here, pilot fined 175,000 pounds. Wow. 
for falsifying license and acting as a pilot without an appropriate license from the UK Civil Aviation Authority. A private pilot has been convicted of two charges of knowingly making false entries to his pilot's license and one charge of acting as a pilot without an appropriate license on seven flights. On uh, 8 July 2021, private pilot has been convicted of two charges of knowingly making false entries to his pilot's license. I just read that. Um, Do they mean like entries in his logbook or something? I think he falsified a... um uh, a a check ride or, or a rating, yeah. uh, uh, you know. Let's so uh, we get a, uh, a a paper, a folded piece. Oh, excuse me, folded piece of paper inside our uh, license, which um, is filled out by an examiner uh, with the details of your simulator or the rating or whatever, uh-huh. and signed. So it's only done by by a ballpoint. Um, so mm. I suspect he just filled his own out. Oh, mm. pretty easy to forge then, apparently. Easy test. Well, yeah, and <laughs> until someone checks it. Yeah. <laughs> well, this this person's name is David Harbottle of Lansing, West Sussex, was convicted of the charges yesterday on the 6th of July. Following a trial at Brighton Magistrates Court, he was fined £50,000 for each of the false entries and a further £75,000 for acting as a pilot without an appropriate license. He also... He was also ordered to pay costs to the Civil Aviation Authority of £16,500 and to pay a £120 victim charge. The, fines <laughs> and char- the victim just never really... Uh, didn't get very much, does no. he? No. Poor victim. Well, who's the victim, though? Well, I think it's a, it's a fund that goes towards um, um, giving victims of crime oh, I see. Uh, a sum of money to compensate them for what has been done against them, not necessarily for... I think every every crime gets a, a victim charge, and it only goes to some people. I see. Okay. So the fines and charges total £191,620. That's a lot of money. That's what, two hundred and fifty grand or so? Uh, oh, and the rest, U.S. Yeah. dollars? Yeah. Something like that? Yeah. Um, the Civil Aviation Authority's prosecution, the subsequent convictions, and substantial fines show that the CAA and the courts treat offending of this kind with the utmost severity. Um, Mr. Harbottle previously had certificates of revalidation for multi-engine piston and instrument rating ratings for his pilot license, which, ex- which expired in 2014. He later forged certificates of revalidation for a multi- multi-engine Pilot and IR rating he um, piston uh, and IR rating he required for the seven flights he undertook, and backdated them to 2016. He was prosecuted under the following articles of the Air Navigational. Well, we're not going to go into all that, but here's the second article that uh, Nick was able to dig up, and he said, and this is from the Rugby Observer. Interesting. Okay. Um, a pilot. Rugby's a place. Oh, it's a place. See, I thought that was some kind of a sport. Yeah, it, 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 <laughs> it's a place that gave its name to the sport. Oh, wow! I had no idea. Because the school at rugby was where they um, the the kid that first uh, dreamed dreamt up the idea of running around with a rugby ball, uh, picked up the ball they had been kicking. And ran off with it. Hey, you can't do that. You can't do that. Wait a minute. That's a good idea. Maybe you yeah, can do that. Yeah, it's a good game. It's really much, much more fun. Unfortunately, yeah. he didn't patent it. Otherwise, his family oh, would be worth yeah, a, a rich boy. Who would have thought that that, that would have been a good idea <laughs> for, for a new sport? What would you say, Liz? 
the fine in U.S. dollars is $264,000. $264,000 in uh, current U.S. Wow. dollars at the exchange rate. That's a lot of money. Um, let's see. This is uh, an earlier incident. A pilot fined for landing a six-seater plane at Coventry Airport without gaining permission from air traffic control <laughs> has lost an appeal against his conviction. David Harbottle, again, will have to stump up more than 6,000 pounds on top of the fine and costs he had already been ordered to pay following his conviction at Coventry Magistrates Court. Uh, so this was June of last year that he uh, landed. He was denied landing at Coventry Airport. Uh, and he did it anyway. Sure. Yeah. Okay. He's a scoff law. Well, he he is landed a scoff without law. permission because he didn't get use the right frequency to speak to the oh. tower and said, "Well, if they're not going to reply to me, I'm just going to land anyway." Oh wow! That's and the uh, reason he wasn't on the right frequency because he hadn't read his no terms. Oh boy! He said he was squawking the great code, but if he'd have just made seventy six hundred, he'd have saved himself six thousand quid. <laughs> <laughs> <Yes>. Yep. <laughs> Yeah, he actually had the correct frequency uh, available to him, but he he only dialed up one of the two frequencies and then went, nah, that that, that should be the right frequency. I'm not going to try the other one. <laughs> I'm not going to bother <laughs> trying yeah, exactly anymore. Right. Yeah. Just going to land and yeah. look look for a light, a green light, right? I don't think I, I don't know. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think he got one. Watch out for the flashing blue lights. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Something tells me we're not going to see him flying around for some time. Yeah. I don't know, or maybe he will be, and maybe he's independently wealthy. And- he even then went for an appeal, so he can't be short of a bob or two if he's using all these uh, methods of trying to win his case. But yeah. Uh, he was told that you were the commander of the aircraft um, and you didn't keep a continuous watch on all the appropriate frequencies. So they said you failed his duties as a pilot. Yeah, oh, times a bunch of garbage, right? Yeah. That would have been my defense. <laughs> you said uh, notams are a bunch of garbage? That's what notams are. They're just a bunch of garbage that nobody pays any attention to. <laughs> well, including Mr. Harbottle. <laughs> All right. Um, next item here. Uh, Spencer sent this in to us. He says, hey, APG crew, I'm, I think it's about time I send in some feedback. We were thinking the same thing, Spencer. Uh, I've been a longtime listener and really enjoy the show. Uh, he currently attends a Part 141 school in Utah. I'm going to transfer to a Part 61 school here soon, but that's another story in itself. I guess uh, we're can you explain? Uh, oh yes. yeah, these the difference. Too many parts. Yeah. We, we get yeah. parts yeah. as parts, you know. <laughs> yeah. uh, so the difference between the part sixty-one and part one forty-one schools are there just a couple of different ways to uh, attain uh, instruction uh, for your private, uh, well, private and more advanced certificates. But you usually start off with the private. Although uh, trivia here. I one one of the licenses that I do not um, have possession of is a private pilot certificate or license, if you prefer. Uh, because when I went through the military, I didn't have. When I started in the military, I didn't have a private. And when I was in the military, I took an equivalency exam, which gives you a commercial single engine limited to centerline thrust rating. And then I was able to get a single engine. Um, commercial or the single engine rating for the commercial certificate, or I'm not sure if I'm using the right 
language there. But uh, yeah, I don't. I have a commercial certificate, but not and and an airline transport pilot certificate, but not a single or a private certificate. I thought it was interesting. Maybe we didn't. <laughs> I'm, I'm amused. Okay, I so brilliant. Going back to um, moving on. Yeah, moving on, Liz says. Uh, going back to the schools. At, at least she's not snoring yet, making snoring noises. Uh, but that's coming soon, I'm sure. Um, so the uh, the different, uh, the Part 141 schools are ones that are structured. They have like a curriculum. And a, and so you, you sign up and they're usually, you know, you're going to pay us, you know, $110,000 or whatever it is. And we're going to give you all the instruction training necessary to take you to your private um, license uh, test uh, check ride, et cetera. And uh, the Part 61 is basically um, like individual instruction, you, which you do at your own pace. It's not a it's not a formal school that has a curriculum. It's just like you go to the local FBO and you find Bob, Pilot Bob, and he's a CFI. And you take uh, lessons whenever Pilot Bob and and uh, you uh, have the time on your schedule. And your bank account. And your bank account. So it, it gives you a lot more flexibility. Um um, but usually the 141 schools are, are more expensive, but they're usually, uh, it doesn't take very long to get through the, all the training necessary to take your, uh, your license, uh, check ride. Gotcha. And, uh, but the 61 can be just as quick as the part 141 school. Uh, but they're not usually, it take, usually takes a little bit longer. And, but it, as I said, it gives you more flexibility as far as scheduling and also, um, you know, the cost of the, uh. So you training. can hold down a job and just do it in your spare time. Right. Gotcha. Exactly. So that's basically the difference between Part 61 and Part... I'm the sure end, there are some but others. the end point is the Good same, question, right? The end point is the same, yes, Liz, uh, to get uh, the training necessary to... Uh, I think... Uh, no, I'm not going to say that because I might be wrong, but I, I think that with the 141 school, you, you, you're, you're, the hour requirement is a little bit less um, to qualify for taking the test but I'm not sure. Maybe somebody in the chat room can correct me uh, because I know that there are probably a lot of people in there that are uh, much more informed than I am when it comes to Part 61 and Part 141 schools. Okay. Well, thanks for that. Sure. Anyway, so that's what he's doing, switching from the 141 to uh, Part 61. And we'll have to wait, I guess, into, uh, until he sends us more feedback in regarding why he's making the switch. He says, I'm still a student pilot, but will have my private check ride sometime in the next month. I'm looking forward to getting done with it. Anyway, I found Captain Jeff's recent experience with AG uh, from the uh, uh, Opposing Bases podcast. Absolutely hilarious. Just earlier this week, I heard something similar on the CTAF, uh, Common Traffic Advisory Frequency, on the uncontrolled field I fly out of. It went something like this. Uh, airport traffic Skywest 413, seven miles south of the field, flight level 340 westbound. Will be no factor. <laughs> it definitely had me Excellent. and my flight instructor uh, gave them a good laugh. Anyway, I do have a question for Captain Jeff, Captain oh, Nick, or Miami Rick. Huh? No, Jeff, you disappeared. Oh, okay. Um, I don't know why I disappeared. Let me uh, tell them I'm working to come back. Jeff's on his way back this 
with a uh, an inappropriate swipe of my mouse, I can take myself out of the stream <laughs> just like that. I don't know what ha- I just noticed that the window that I had um, that was behind the window that I was looking at um, went just completely white. Um, so just like on its own, it decided uh, to take me out. Did you say anything rude? Nick Possibly, did. yeah. <laughs> By the way, Nick was uh, playing yeah. with his mouse when you disappeared, Jim. Uh, well, yeah, that was beside the point. Uh, I think you might need to edit a word I said out of... Uh, just yeah. Well, if, it, if it's in the video, um, then it's staying. It uh, is. And if it's in the audio, which it isn't, because I was gone and what I'm recording is what I'm hearing. So I didn't hear it. So, yay. So uh, to all the little... Kids out there, don't say that to your mummy or daddy. <laughs> yes, and you should stay off YouTube, by the way. It's a dangerous yeah, place. Quite right. Yeah, you shouldn't be looking at it anyway. So <laughs> you get everything you deserve. Turn your clean feed down a little, Jeff. I, I'm oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry about that, Liz. I okay. uh, nope, Now I turned good. off that um, microphone. Nope. Okay. Anyway, let's see. Where was I? Spencer. Yeah, back to Yeah. Um, Anyway, I do have a question for Captain Jeff, Captain Nick, or Miami Rick. I was on a recent trip and noticed that some aircraft would have their APU. Or Captain Nige. Or Captain Nige. He didn't know, Liz, that Nigel was going to be there. Yeah, I decided I wasn't going to answer this one. Okay, please don't. But it's one of the few that you're probably capable of answering. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we, we will welcome your, your input. Absolutely. Uh, he said he was on a recent trip, noticed that some of, their air, some of the aircraft would have their APU running for auxiliary power unit for what seemed to me a long time. I recall seeing one aircraft that was 20 minutes until boarding time, and you could see the jet blast coming out of the APU. So I guess my question is, how long before your departure time do you start your APU? I would assume that this may vary company to company, but it surprised me to see aircraft that had their APUs running while just sitting at the gate. Anyway, thanks for the entertainment every week. Tailwinds and keep the blue side up. Spencer. Well, Spencer, that's a good question. Um, and I suspect that, you know, the it might vary from airline to airline, but I can say in general, the APU is there to provide electricity and pneumatic air to operate the air conditioning packs. And some APUs actually, I guess, can even power hydraulic systems. Uh, although I don't, I'm not sure I've flown any airplanes that uh, the APUs could do that. But generally speaking, electrical um, energy and um, pneumatic energy for air conditioning. And there are times when uh, you might get out to the airplane and the um, uh, the external power exterior um, power system is not working for whatever reason. The receptacle where they plug it into the airplane might be um, not working. So you like you have to have the auxiliary power unit running to have uh, electricity. But probably the mo- most common reason that you'll see APUs running, even when they're at the gate, connected with electrical power and perhaps even exterior air sources connected to the airplane is that these aluminum tubes and we talked about it or i alluded to it earlier when the ambient temperature gets to a certain point or higher uh, even with uh, external sources of air it's just not enough to keep the cabin comfortable and so you have to um, add some more cooling uh, capability or capacity by starting up your auxiliary power unit and for us at Acme, you know, we look at the cabin temperature, and if it gets in the 
in the mid eighties, uh, or sometimes even a little bit less, or if I, and I communicate with my, uh, flight attendants that if it starts getting a little hot or stuffy or whatever in the back, just let me know. And then I'll start the APU and kind of try to keep it as cool as we can. And, uh, so that's, especially this time of year in the Northern hemisphere, um, having the APU running, um, you know, and, uh, earlier than you would expect it to be, uh, is cu- quite a common thing. So that's what I'll say about that. Anything to add or subtract? No, no, you got exactly right, Jeff. Uh, some airports have a uh, restriction. So uh, because of the local populace, they'll put a uh, restriction. So you're not allowed to start your APU until 30 minutes before departure, something like that, try and keep the noise down. Mm-hmm. But most airfields uh, allow the use of it fairly constantly. Um, engineers often come on and they'll start up the APU because they want to do checks on the system. And then they think, well, the pilots will be along in 10 minutes. So I won't bother shutting it down. I'll just leave it running for them. Um, so you get on board, the APU is already, uh, running, um, keeping the airplane cool is a, a good reason for it. Um, so yeah, it, it, it's really, I mean, in the old days, they used to run them almost, almost continuously, uh, when they, whenever the aircraft was on the ground nowadays, they're trying to cut it down because of the noise, uh, and, uh, the fuel wastage when it's not really required. Um, having said that, uh, airport infrastructures do vary and you're quite right. Sometimes the, um, the ground power just isn't good enough, good quality. The aircraft rejects it, uh, or it's, um, you know, the, uh, air that is being conditioned air that's being provided, uh, through the belly into the cabin to keep the cabin cool. Uh, it just isn't up to the job. Uh, and, and certainly in my airplane, you couldn't have the two working at the same time because it would make uh, some valves chatter and wear them out. So uh, you could either have one or the other, but not both. Um, I, I think if airports were to improve their facilities, then we could keep APU use down to an absolute minimum and uh, really just fire it up just prior to engine start. It's obviously a requirement for that. I agree. But, there, uh, it's such a treat when you go to some place, especially in a in a hot, humid environment, let's say somewhere in Florida, and they connect the external air, and all of a sudden you're going, wow. I mean, feel all that air coming out, and it's cool. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah. wow, this is so awesome. Well, uh, Hong but, Kong was pretty good, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, well, the second Hong Kong. The new Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but even then, you didn't always get a, a gate. And it's only if you're up at the gate that you got all the connections. Yeah. Uh, so if you're out on a stand, which quite a few of them are, um, then, you know, you needed the APU out there. Yeah. yeah. Jeff, Nick Camacho's got a good comment here. All right, clarifying. Nick Camacho in our live audience says, Jeff's right. Oh, I like that. That's all I have to say, really. Just right. 50%. percent Woohoo. Yay. Uh, the Part 141 curriculum saves you something like five or 10 hours on the minimum flight requirement. Part 61 is 40 hours minimum for the check ride. Part 141 is either 30 or 35. He says he didn't remember exactly. But yeah, I seem to remember that there is a, and you know what? It's probably a, when it comes down to it all a wash. You know, you're probably, you'll know when you're ready. <laughs> and, uh, you know, saving that extra five or 10 hours. Uh, I mean, it, it definitely does add up the cost, but uh, I've, I've talked to some people that said that um, that's not necessarily the, the 
the most important reason people have for going to a 141 school. It's just basically, yeah, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to get my license and I'm going to try to do it as quickly as I can. And so going to a, a structured school environment sometimes is the, uh, the best way to get it all knocked out. If you can fit that in your schedule and you have the financial resources to, uh, to pay for it all. All right. Well, thank you, Nick, for that. And uh, we did also see some, uh, we have some communication from Miami Rick, and he said that he's he, he's missing the fact that he isn't with us today, but uh, he said that he's um, making progress. Uh, he said, just finish laying down the padding in his little studio. That must be his, is that his new place, Liz, maybe? I don't think so. I guess it's getting ready to sell. I, I don't think they've got a new place, but I don't I know. know. But I'm thinking, why would they put he, he'd be putting padding in a well, I think studio? It's, un, it's underlay. It's carpet underlay. Oh, I see. Okay. Very good. Well, anyway. Um, what, Nigel? Well, I, I can guess what Liz said because I was thinking it too. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. I, you know, sometimes I forget that you guys can't hear her. <laughs> you know what? Let me try something here. Let me see if... Uh, no, 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 no. Don't oh, she's saying, that. no, 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 no. No, no, no. She wouldn't get This little tile here. Let me just do it quickly just to kind of confirm that I can. Oh, boy. Um, okay. Say something, Liz. Say something. Can you hear? Her? Ah, uh-huh. it works. So now, do like give me an example of something that you might say to me while I'm in the midst of talking, and and just uh, just to throw me off or or say something That's derogatory. What she said. <laughs> yeah, she says that a lot, actually. <laughs> Move right along, Jeff. Move right along. All right. Yep. Yeah. Do that. Hey, um, you're boring me. Move on to the next one. There we go. Do the snoring sound. <laughs> There we go. There's a snoring sound. <laughs> okay, you're you're out. I just took you out. Thank you. Uh huh. Um, so, I, do we do have the capability of uh, adding? Oh, excellent, Liz. Just for Can't future wait. reference. Okay. Um, you're going to screen share this one, I think, aren't you? Jeff? I think I am. Am I finished with uh, Spencer's? Yeah. Thanks. So. Okay. Uh, so let me double click this one because I'm going to share it. And here we go. Share screen and still haven't figured out a quick way to do this. Okay. You all see that? Yep. Yep. Okay. This is from Murillo. Uh, He says, hey, crew, how are you? I was walking back home from a Sunday fun day party today. (laughs) Sunday fun day. And had a chance to take a picture of this. I always drive by but could never do it. So there's the picture there we're sharing with everybody. It's a side of a building that has a mural painting painted on it or a sign painted on it. And I guess the name of the uh, restaurant is Java Jive, award-winning breakfast since 1994. He said, okay, it's in Midtown Atlanta. I did not get arrested. I guess the police wanted Dr. Steph or Dispatcher Mike. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> like I said, I drive by and every day I think about the podcast. Hope everyone is fine and safe. Mirio Barbosa here from Brazil. He used to live up May- Mayreta, somewhere near the Big Chicken, I, I'm assuming. And now he has transplanted himself to Midtown Atlanta. And he said, P.S. Dr. Steph, your peach tree run made me mad on Saturday. I waited five hours for an Uber, but no one could cross the street. So I had to cancel work. Ha, 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 ha. Love you guys. Mirio. We love you too, Mirio. I love you. 
<laughs> Whoever uh, threw the egg at that bloke with the coffee cup isn't, isn't a very good shot, is he? No, but it's a very large egg. I'd it was say. a large egg, yeah. Well, Ostrich I used a big egg. chicken. Oh, yeah, it could be a big Ooh. chicken egg. Yeah. Good point. And uh, the coffee cup that this uh, gentleman is holding uh, says, the cup that pleases Java Jive. That's yeah, great. He's being a bit English about holding it with his fingertips. I don't yeah, know. I don't know. It doesn't look like a very convenient no. way to. Doesn't look like a very American cup. They would let you. No, you've got cups like huge handles and. That's true. We do because yeah, we do everything. Like everything thick. is big over. Here. Wait a minute. That's <laughs> Texas. Oh well. Uh, okay. Thank you, Muriel. The next one too. Okay. Uh, we got some feedback from, oh, actually, I think we have a, uh, I put an overlay in there, Liz, for oh, you to too. pop okay. up. Um, we received this from Larry, uh, geezer oh, yep. in ahead. Tulsa, Oklahoma. And he sent us, and this is actually my favorite Gary Larson cartoon of all of them. And there's so many good ones. Um, the two pilots, uh, from the perspective of somebody, let's say in the jump seat of the, uh, cockpit, uh, looking forward past the two pilots and looking through the windscreen and you can see some clouds and then in a little break a little hole in the clouds you see a mountain goat and they say say what's a mountain goat doing way up here in a cloud bank <laughs> Oops. and uh yeah, incidentally that's it. what they were saying in that an 20 <laughs> no i'm sorry that's yeah too soon exactly. sorry too soon yeah. Probably. By the way, uh, the other funny thing I like about this is the the hair on the two pilots. Uh -huh. like yeah. The first officer's <laughs> got it on the top of his head. The captain's got it between his ears. So. Yeah. Gary nailed that, that one, didn't he? Absolutely. Uh, he didn't get the number of stripes right. Yeah, yeah. Both two stripers. Yeah, that's true. They're both two stripers. Well, maybe yeah, they are. Yeah. I don't know. That's that's, uh, a that's a good one. It is a worry. Thanks, Larry. All right. Uh, yeah. Thank you, Larry, uh, for the nice laugh. But it actually is my favorite Larson cartoon. Uh, let's see. Okay. Here is uh, some feedback from Derek, a.k.a. also known as Grinner. I guess he likes smiling a lot. I think he was in the military. And I that guess. Was his call he was in the military. Uh, Liz thinks that he was in the military, and that, and that was, was his, his call like sign. Call name. Okay. Um, in this regards, episode 480 and the ditching of the Boeing 727 off Hawaii. Close. There are only one number off. I think it was a 737 that was ditched off Hawaii. Hello, APG crew. I've become an avid fan of the podcast in the past year, having discovered you all, actually via Pip and Al of the Plane Safety Podcast Who? during the pandemic. Hmm? Oh, is that pitch, uh, Pip and Al? Yeah, uh, Al's changed. Um, yeah, no, that's not Pip and Al. That's Pip and Jeff. I'm sorry, I didn't. I didn't know what you guys were looking at. I, I didn't have that uh, up. But uh, anyway, um, let's see here. How do I do this so I can see both of these items? Okay, um, I'm an XRAF fast jet pilot who moved to the commercial world and now fly. And luckily, still in uh, employment with a major UK-European airline flying the A320 family as a line training captain or a line check airman in U.S. parlance. 
My feedback is about the Boeing 737 ditching off of Hawaii, discussed in episode 480. I think we are in no doubt that the crew were faced with a very difficult and deteriorating situation, and ultimately, whatever options they were presented with, the outcome was likely to have been the same. One thing that always bothers me when I listen to ATC pilot exchanges within the U.S. seems to be a reluctance to declare clearly and concisely that I have a problem. Now, I appreciate that in the U.S. you are used to that style of ATC communication, but is it actually effective? Having listened to the audio of the incident again, all the elements were there, but the initial communication from the crew failed to elicit a response from the controller for whom it clearly did not register initially. And I, I agree with him, actually. The ICAO standard calls are either pan-pan or mayday. These words are an immediate statement, and a clear transmission of the relevant words will immediately focus all persons to the situation. For air traffic control to switch their mental model, for the crew to take control of the situation, and for others on frequency to minimize their transmissions. One of the major causes of confusion is poor communication, and as a team of trainers within my company, we try to ensure that our crews make clear, unambiguous transmissions along the lines of Mayday or Pan Pan, who you are, what your problem is, and what you're going to do, and what you want from the controller. It was interesting that in this incident, once the controller was tuned into the situation, she actually gave good service despite individuals stepping on each other's transmissions. But take note the contrast between what I assume are the FO's somewhat verbose and unclear transmissions and the captain's very clear, concise transmissions. Anyway, thankfully, they both survived, and that is what matters here. Great show. Uh, Great job. Great show. All the very best, Derek, also known as Grinner. And I have to say, you know, I, it, I've, I've kind of come into the camp uh, that, that um, you, Nick, and I'm sure Nigel and Derek here, the, who sent in the feedback, uh, in that camp, that uh, by, by say, if he had said right off the bat, mayday, 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 everybody else would have just stopped communicating on the frequency the controller would have immediately known that there was a a problem here and that she needs to give her focus her attention on it instead there was some because there was another um similar call sign or the same company flying a different flight uh yeah another plane and those two were kind of confused in the controller's minds and and uh because everybody was stepping on each other etc maybe the stepping on each other may have halted immediately uh, had the term mayday been used but honestly in all my training and you know uh, mostly military training and then um civilian training thereafter in my more than three decades of flying um, it, it was never emphasized that we should say Mayday. Uh, and, and it is a U.S. thing. And I think that perhaps that's something that we need to change here and, and stress that just using the correct phraseology may go a long ways toward uh, the successful outcome of a situation. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it's, uh, it's something that people around the rest of the world uh, uh, are used to using. So, you know, we're very familiar with it, and it is an important part of our training. And uh, I think it's something that has to be specially briefed when you, foreign pilots are flying into the States is that um, some controllers may not 
understand or may not react correctly to the use of our ICAO standard emergency calls. And considering it is such an important thing, uh, communication during an emergency, that has something that has always surprised me. But, um, uh, you know, on the other hand, there will be people who will say, so long as you get your message across, that's fine. But, um, you know, I'm in agreement with you, Jeff. The easiest way to get your message across is to use internationally recognized uh, code words or brevity words for your uh, emergency. I was never convinced, Jeff, when I went to the States, that if I said pan, pan, that anyone would know what I was talking about. Peter Maybe, Pan. I, yeah, I think so. But <laughs> pan, pan, I was, I'd, I wouldn't have used it. I'd have just gone from Mayday or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good point. And, you know, they're useful words, and there's a reason why most of the world's pilots use the, the phraseology. And uh, I think that uh, I, I think most U.S. pilots listening to this show and other aviation podcasts would probably, in general, agree that it's something that we should somehow transition to and maybe emphasize uh, in training of future pilots. I was kind of surprised um, when I was listening to, uh, you remember the uh, CFI Ben uh, that uh, had the single engine kind of conk out, uh, Cessna that conked out and uh, landed in a field shortly after he took off from that uh, Charlotte area, uh, Kakalaki area um, airport. And uh, he, uh, it, it got my attention because he used the phrase mayday, mayday, mayday. And, and you know, because we monitor 121.5, uh, the guard frequency. And as soon as I heard mayday, I'm thinking, whoa, what's this? You know, and it really got my, my ears, you know, perked up. And I, I said, turned up the volume on guard to hear what was going on. And, and uh, that's how I was made aware of what was happening to, uh, to Ben and his student yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, and I was kind of surprised, frankly, that he, because he's a, a relative, compared to me, I'm an old fogey, uh, a younger pilot, and perhaps maybe the, we've already made that transition in training to use that phraseology. Yeah, it would be nice to see it uh, emerge and be, be you know, the, the world needs to, because airline uh, aircraft fly all around the world. The world needs really mm-hmm. to be working on the same page. Uh, we shouldn't have to learn different procedures, different phraseologies, depending on the country we're flying to, because as an international pilot, it just makes your life very complicated. You know, one of the things that we did, um, it's probably been more than a decade now, um, maybe closer to two, uh, we used to, uh, here in the U.S., the um, phraseology for uh, lining up and waiting on the runway was uh, uh, let's see well, now I can't think of what <laughs> what was the uh, hold was it line up and hold into position and hold uh, position and hold yeah I think that yeah. was it um, and then they said you know we're gonna we're gonna change that to line up and wait to kind of align with ICAO phraseology and we all it was kind of awkward at first because it just didn't sound right but then after a while you just get used to the fact that it's line up and wait, and that sounds normal now to me. And in fact, so much so that I almost forgot what the old phrase was. <laughs> so I did Very forget, true. actually. But very interestingly, uh, about uh, Grinner, who wrote this, um, it turned out because we communicated uh, afterwards that uh, he was a student going through RAF Valley when both Nigel and I uh, and our two friends who we met uh, over the weekend were flying instructors there. 
indeed, um, DL, uh, Dave, um, actually flew his very first uh, familiarization ride uh, at Valley, which I thought was uh, quite a coincidence. Right. So did he uh, unbutton his top... Uh you can't do that unless you're a fighter pilot. I'm well, sorry. I don't know. What did he fly? I know he was an instructor pilot, but what else did he fly? Do you know? Well, it's oh, DL. Yeah, DL. No, 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 uh, no DL not DL. Phantoms. No, no, no Grinner. I'm, Grinner. Grinner. I'm talking about Grinner. Grinner. I think he went on, went on to Jags. Yeah. Okay. So, so no, he would have he, been he a bomber properly puke. dressed. Probably dressed. He, uh, yeah, he would have been <laughs> a fancy-pantsy okay. bomber puke <laughs> out in Germany, probably. <laughs> okay. I'll let you find it. leaves the top button of his flies undone as well. (laughs) That's that's just for speed of access. (laughs) Or maybe, oh, never mind. Uh, No, 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 no. Don't go there. there. I know. I I didn't. I thought about it. Well done. Thank you. Good restraint. All right. Let's move on to this next uh, item from uh, Gustav, um, who I believe is with us in the. um, He was, yeah. He was, at least, in the live audience. I'll be nice about him. Yes, try to be nice. Uh, he says, good day. It's not often that aerospace companies located only a few miles from my work make headlines, but here United has made a deal with Swedish startup company or a Swedish startup company that manufactures electric commercial airplanes. United has conditionally agreed to purchase 100 ES-19 aircraft once the aircraft meets the airline's safety, business, and operating requirements. And then he gave us a link to an article uh, regarding this. He said, it's worth noting that similarities to the boom agreement that United signed only a short while ago. And it is exciting to see how United has the bravery to stretch itself in two such different yet equally exciting directions. Well, bravery is one word for it. <laughs> yeah. Actually, uh, now, he had a different word in there that I didn't recognize, so I assume that he meant bravery, but maybe he could tell us if he's still in the uh, audience. But uh, Gustav, um, yeah, United to purchase 100 electric planes from Hart Aerospace as part of its largest order ever for 270 Boeing and Airbus jets. United will undertake a nose-to-tail transformation of its fleet and offer a new and improved in-flight experience for passengers. They're placing a new bet on electric air travel as part of its goal to reduce its greenhouse gas emissions 100% by 2050. The company's investment arm, United Airlines Ventures, UAV, as well as its partners, Breakthrough Energy Ventures and Mesa Airlines, have announced a new investment in Gothenburg, Sweden-based electric aircraft startup Hart Aerospace, which will fast-track the development of its ES-19 electric aircraft to begin commercial service by 2026. If you're watching the video, uh, we had a uh, over there. It is an overlay uh, of the uh, electronic commercial aircraft. I guess a uh, I guess that would be a uh, artist's um, rendition because I don't think it's that's not a real photo. Is I like it? the way it's got a uh, uh, it's got a wing tip uh, on one side and not on the other. Well, I, I think it's because it's blending in with a tail, right? Yeah, and it's only got three engines. It's got two on one side and one on the other. <laughs> <laughs> well, how much has he been drinking, Nige? <laughs> Always too much. It's a solar panel, and look, that's the sunny side. Yeah, that must be. Oh, okay. Anyway, um, and they they expect that it's going to begin commercial service by 2026. Hmm. 
Sounds that's, pretty. That's pretty. Yeah, that's in. Yeah, it's <laughs> going to be a little hard to achieve. But they have put the caveat that so long as it meets all their yeah. requirements, single they, pilot did, operations. Yeah. Yes, single pilot. Right. In fact, no pilot operations. Exactly. I don't even know why they have a, a window up there in the front of that darn thing. Uh, that's to let the passengers look out front. Oh, okay. Yeah, and they have a good seat up there. Uh, once operational, the ES-19 will be able to fly on more than 100 of United's regional routes out of most of its hubs, including Chicago O'Hare International Airport to Purdue University Airport and San Francisco International to Modesto City County Airport the uh, in California. The 19-seat plane, which uses electric motors instead of jet engines and batteries instead of jet fuel, has the potential to fly customers up to 250 miles. The ES-19 will be a larger aircraft than any of its all-electric competitors and have zero operational emissions, uh, including the emissions from the pilots. Breakthrough Energy <laughs> Ventures' Carmichael Robert says the ES-19 will be transformational in reducing the emissions of the industry and enable low-cost, quiet, and clean regional travel on a broad scale at a fraction of the cost. Uh, the UAV President Michael Leskinen noted that the Airline recognizes its customers want even more ownership of their own carbon emissions footprint. That's what I always say. And emphasize the short-haul regional air travel market will play a key role in the ES-19's evolution. As battery technology improves, the larger gauge aircraft should become viable. But we're not going to wait to begin the journey. That's why we're looking forward to beginning our work with Heart, so that together we can scale the availability of electric airliners and use them for passenger flights within the next five years. Uh, in addition to Heart Aerospace, United announced an agreement with California-based air mobility company Archer in February to purchase up to 200 of Archer's fully electric air taxis to help quickly transport United customers to the airport. The battery-powered aircraft, which is expected to be operational as early as 2024, will transport customers from up to 60 miles away and at speeds of up to 150 miles per hour. United also plans to purchase at least 15 Overture jets from Colorado-based Boom Supersonic, capable of traveling at speeds of Mach 1.7, around 1,300 miles per hour. I guess it depends on temperature and altitude, right? And cutting the flight time between Newark and London to just three and a half hours, Newark to Frankfurt, Germany in four hours, and San Francisco to Tokyo in six hours. The Overture jets are expected to begin flying in 2026 and carry passengers by 2029. And then they I add here what at the, the carbon footprint of those things are going to be. Yeah. I wouldn't imagine it would be going in the right direction. So, yeah, I wouldn't have thought 100 electric airplanes would offset all those supersonic airplanes. Probably <laughs> but not. But you never know. You never know. You never know. No. Never say never. No, exactly right. Oh, right. by the way, uh, mm -hmm. I wonder what Gustav thought of uh, The Last Plane Tale since uh, he comes from Sweden. I don't we know. were talking very much about uh, we did. the prowess of the Swedish Air Force. Absolutely, and how they were critical in keeping the... Uh, SR-71 from being brought down. Absolutely. Those friggin' vegans. And, yeah, the, the friggin' vegans, Liz says. <laughs> um, we like those vegans. Yeah, we do. We do. All right. Um, let's continue with feedback from John. 
Uh, he says, Dear Captain Jeff, Dr. Steph, Captain Nick, and Captain Rick, and Liz. And Captain Nige. And Captain Nige. And everybody. Uh, this is John from Duluth, Georgia. Perhaps I'm getting greedy by offering two things to discuss. Yes, John, come on. <laughs> Quit being so darn greedy. But perhaps this could be con uh, attributed to a long-time affliction with the APG, APG syndrome. Give me the news, I got a bad case. APG syndrome. Oh, here comes our doctor. APG syndrome. Ah! Well, right. what, what we need is a doctor to doctor, fix doctor. Oh, look at that. There's I a don't doctor. know if I can help with APG syndrome, though. That's, yeah, well, we've, we've already determined that's uh, sorry. Uh, we need to <laughs> No cure yet. Look at this. The official sounder for our doctor in residence, doctor of aviation, doctor of skydiving, doctor of dumping jumpers and all kinds <laughs> of stuff. Our favorite backstabbing jumper dumper, Captain Dr. Steph. Hi, Captain Jeff. <laughs> Hi, Captain Nick. Nigel, good to see you. Hey, nice to see you again. So, sorry for being tardy. I have a doctor's note for that, though. Do you? Oh, your own note? <laughs> yeah, I wrote it myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but no one could read it. Well, that's not my problem. Well. <laughs> <laughs> She's got a point. Uh, compassion. Well. Yeah, exactly. Steph's the only one that's actually has a has a real job and uh, you know, is providing, you know, a service to our community and society. For the rest of us That's not what you do. Jeff? Not so much. Nope. I mean <laughs> Kevin, well, not now, Kevin not lately. <laughs> mm. Okay. I hope to join their ranks soon, though, and within a couple of years. <sighs> anyway, so how have you been? I am very tired. I'm just going mm -hmm. to start off with saying that. So <laughs> I might not make it as long as, despite the uh, time zone difference here, I'm, I might be turning into a pumpkin before. Steph, it's only 5.30, not even 5.30 in the afternoon. I know. And have a beer, I've had, like, Steph. Cumulative have a beer. I have one, but that might make the problem worse. Just a little over an hour to go. So it's, okay. it's, yeah, I think you can do it. I think you can do it. If I'm like sitting here and my eyes are like, you know, closed and I'm kind of drifting off or talking nonsense, no, just, 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 just like ignore me. And, yeah. Just put me on mute or something so you can't and hear me. Liz, can you uh, pull up some technical uh, articles for her to oh, read? Yes. Oh, yes. Okay. Will. Today would be the wrong day for that. I can tell you 100% no, because... it would be the right day. <laughs> It'd be the right day for everyone who wants to hear yeah. me. Just uh, can be, make no sense whatsoever. So we'll get started with that. Ooh, very nice. Ooh, yes. Great what sound. Mm -hmm. What are you drinking? No, that looks just, like founders. It's all day. All day? Yep. Founders. IPA. All day IPA. Mm -hmm. It's uh, pretty much the staple in my fridge at this point. Grand Rapids, Michigan. Yep. Because it tastes good, it's cheap, and it's only like 4.7% alcohol, so mm. I can tolerate go. a few of them. Yeah. You I'll be you. going to the loo every 30 minutes if I had to drink well, It's stuff. a small price to pay for. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we were just discussing the feedback that we received, uh, Dr. Steph, from John, and he said uh, that he's from Can Duluth. 
tell me what number feedback oh, nine yes. by number nine. Number nine, number Thank nine, you. number nine. Thank you. I was like, You're I might bitch. find it eventually, but if you just give me yeah, the information, sorry, I can... How rude of no me worries. not to say number no, nine. No, 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 no. Uh, let's see. I wanted to comment on the discussion about a lack of jetways, jet bridges, or whatever else you'd like to call them. I recognize that I'm about to expose myself as a member of the old school, but I am here to rise in defense of walking across the ramp and climbing a set of stairs to board an aircraft. There's something very special, possibly romantic perhaps, but clearly very aviation, very aviation about boarding an aircraft using stairs. If nothing else, it reminds you that you're actually getting on an aircraft, a wonderful miracle of aviation ingenuity genius. I'm not a fan of slowly walking down a crowded tube and then getting into another tube filled with seats to be transported to some faraway place. Today's experience is so sterile that you almost wonder if it's a ploy by the marketing department to somehow address the fears of those who are made nervous by flying and somehow convince them that they're not really even even leaving the ground. Well, especially not if all the uh, window shades are closed. You can't have any idea what happens. That's what I was Mm -hmm. thinking the whole time I was reading that. It's like, uh, yeah, I think maybe there's something to that. It's as if I'm being told to just sit down, fasten your seatbelt, shut up, and watch the movie. I added the shut up. John didn't say that. He's much nicer than I am. Perhaps it may seem far-fetched, and I certainly have no evidence to support the theory, but traffic passenger behavior might be better if it were more of an adventure and less of an experience to be endured. I am the first to acknowledge that modern technology keeps us dry when it rains, it keeps us warm when it's cold and windy outside, but somehow we've lost the soul of the experience. So you can mark me down as one of those crazies that smiles when he has that once every decade experience of walking across a real ramp and climbing up real stairs to board an aircraft. As suggested by another member of the community, a camera allowing us to see what the pilot sees what would be outstanding. To address any concerns of those on the flight deck, perhaps the camera could be mounted on either the nose gear or at the top of the vertical stabilizer, which I think is done on what the A380 A380. and probably several Mm -hmm. other airplanes. Triple seven. Mm -hmm. Triple seven. Yeah. Yeah. It's already there, old chap. Yes. Yeah. Well, not, but it needs to be on all of them, Nick, right? Uh, Well, I don't know. You really want to see the the top of a Boeing 717 bits coming off. Dirty might and horrible. Be, it might be disconcerting. I, yeah, all I the see smoke your... pouring out of the engine. Yeah. Mm. Okay, maybe not. Maybe, <laughs> maybe not. This okay. guy is the polar opposite, isn't he, of the guy uh, that was suing American Airlines. Yeah. Who oh, just didn't yeah. like a yes, bit of a bumpy, you know, go around. And this guy wants to get the wind and ice in his face. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, 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 you know, honestly, probably more of that uh, variety are listening to uh, aviation podcast than the uh, the other show yeah. mm-hmm. well, as i say once every decade uh, experience of walking across a real ramp man you need to come to charlotte more often and fly regional flights to oh, somewhere because are they all like that no but quite oh, a few are some of them are yeah mm-hmm. or you know flying to albany new york you know the capital city of the empire state until about two decades ago that's all they had were air stairs and no jetways. Mm-hmm. And I, for one, actually welcome the jetways, especially when you're flying up there in the wintertime. It, uh, the blizzards can be a little challenging when you're using air stairs to get passengers on and off and having to get out there and do whatever you need to do. Anyway. Yeah. And it's not so bad for commuter jets, but when you've got to unload 300 
odd passengers on the buses and, you know, you get five buses. It just takes forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. True. There are some downsides for sure. I don't want to go home. Although it was always, it was always fun. I've told this before, but you know, when there was the, the two flights parked next to each other out on the ramp, one going to Greenville, North Carolina, one going to Greenville, South Carolina, and they're leaving at the same time and people are leaving through the same door out of the terminal. That's just brilliant um, planning. You know, Brilliant planning. And also a lot of fun for those of us who kind of knew what we were doing to watch people <laughs> get on the wrong airplane. Anyway. Yes. All right. So, and as you might guess, I'm one of those Cretans that loves to have the window shade open and enjoy the scenery. (gasps) Even continuous clouds far exceed the quality of modern day television programming. And then, so yeah, we all agree um, that, I mean, there are some nice things about having a jetway, especially in, you know, uh, not great. um, Yeah. Toronto, Uh, not great uh, weather conditions and such, but uh, in general, it's nice every once in a while to kind of actually get that walking on the, dare I say it, tarmac out to the uh, airplane and uh, you know, just kind of experiencing, experiencing the smell of burnt jet fuel and uh, Mm, uh, nothing better, huh? Mm. Anyway. And, you know, I think we should just go back to like really getting dressed up and um, oh, yeah. well, that's being civil happened. on airplanes. And We're way past one that. And, Isn't like, that why it's called service. civil aviation? Uh, yeah, <laughs> kind of an oxymoron, <laughs> <laughs> I'd say. Uh-huh. Yeah, very um, much so. He also says uh, his second um, piece for discussion was uh, from a uh, newsletter called NASA Callback which I subscribe to and I recommend that everybody do as well. And it's free and it is uh, has some good stuff in it. He said this was in NASA callback number 498, July 2021. Callback gleans confidential reports made to NASA's Aviation Safety Reporting System, the ASRS, describing close calls, hazards, violations, and safety-related rela- incidents. This incident sounded like it was momentarily exciting, and I wonder if any of you have had similar experiences or have other reactions to this. And uh, this thing was entitled, Cleared for Takeoff. When this normal takeoff became non-routine, the captain was surprised. Fortunately, the first officer had recognized the threat and anticipated what would soon be needed. Isn't that always the case? These FOs, they are always there to the rescue. My uh, FO and I set up for departure as normal with a dry runway at approximately 49,000 pounds. Our flap configuration was for flaps eight. I don't recall the winds, but I believe them to be mostly calm, not requiring crosswind corrections. We were close to full and tankering fuel. While we were awaiting takeoff, a group of aircraft began to collect in a line on a downfield crossing runway or taxiway. These aircraft had previously landed and were awaiting taxiing to their gates. They were holding short of our assigned runway while other aircraft departed. There were four, maybe five aircraft in line to cross, while all of them were of comparable size to A321s or B757s. We completed our pre-departure checklist as normal and accepted a lineup and wait clearance. We were advised that traffic would be crossing downfield more than a mile down the runway from us. Traffic downfield was then cleared to cross. I never did actually see where the traffic lined up after crossing on the way to their gates, but at some point after crossing, the first aircraft stopped. Don't you love that? I don't. Sometimes there are some people out there that uh, just aren't don't have good SA and aren't paying attention to what's happening, like a, a airplanes people? behind a them. Few, yeah, a few people. Yeah, a lot of people. A lot of people. Yeah. Anyway. 
first aircraft had stopped. I believe they all joined the taxiway and became blocked from continuing. Because of the size and number of the aircraft, the last aircraft was only able to clear the runway, but not make the turn onto the parallel taxiway. I saw the aircraft cross, but did not notice anything besides that at the time. Later, my FO told me he did notice that the aircraft, a B-757, uh, did not turn left after crossing and remained close to the runway, though he it appeared that he was clear of the hold short lines. While holding the brakes, the FO put the power above 70%, then released the brakes and said, set thrust. The takeoff roll happened normally, and while I watched outside as well as inside during the takeoff roll, I did not look as far down as the Boeing 757. However, once again, my FO did notice that aircraft, that aircraft and later told me that he anticipated this problem. My eyes were inside our aircraft as I called B-1, rotate. As the FO began pulling the yoke back, the 757 on the taxiway powered up for the purpose of taxiing, and we caught his jet blast right at rotation. Our rotation speed was approximately 142 knots. The FO, having been aware that this could happen, reacted immediately with a quick and hard left aileron. He did not use the rudder. After the FO's hard correction, we still banked to the right. I believe his correction to be approximately 40% of the aileron travel for half a second before immediately returning to center. The aircraft was physically moved sideways off the center line by a couple of feet as we rotated. Immediately after the jet blast hit, I looked up back and left to see what caused the aircraft to move the way it did, thinking we ran over something. It was at that time that I saw the 757 moving to its left onto the parallel taxiway. The FO and I confirmed verbally that it was the jet blast shortly after rotation, and we continued on with our normal callouts and takeoff profile. I informed the tower controller that we had received jet blast at rotation from the taxiing aircraft or taxiing traffic. The tower acknowledged my communication, and we continued on with our day without further incident. I believe the anticipation and quick reaction by the FO potentially avoided a wing strike. The left wing definitely came upward as if we ran over something. I'm not sure if the nose wheel was still on the ground or not at the time. I did not anticipate this problem. I specifically did not notice the 757 had not made their turn after crossing. The only preventative measure to this being a bigger problem than it was, was the experience, anticipation, and quick reaction by the FO. And a side note, it cost this captain a fortune in beer after they got to their layover destination. <laughs> uh, this week I had my first air. Okay, so this is uh, that was a story from uh, NASA callback. And then I'll just finish up uh, the rest of the um, uh, feedback email from John, and then we'll discuss. This week I had my first airline trip since January 2020 on Acme with a round trip to Raleigh-Durham. The return leg was on a 757. It may be 38 years old, and we might have been light, but that thing climbed like a homesick angel. I'm looking forward to the resumption of meetings of the APG Syndrome sufferer support groups in the very near future. Yeah, we all are. Wishing you all, the uh, of you blue skies, tailwinds, unlimited visibility, and yes, indeed, God bless. Thank you, John. What do you think of the uh, incident in the NASA callback newsletter? Do we know what aircraft this guy was flying? I'm. I'd have to guess. Um, oh no, we don't. It doesn't really 142 say. 142 knots from flap eight. What uses it? And forty nine thousand oh, yeah. pounds um, was their weight. So I'm thinking maybe a big business jet. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, it does make a difference because I'm going. 
uh, no, I, I, I've never heard of this. I've never heard of someone um, really being um, put to the situation where they might have a wing strike because of someone uh, um, put a jet blast from a, uh, a taxiing aircraft. Uh, when we taxied, we tried not to move the thrust levers at all. Uh, we needed very little uh, movement of the thrust lever, unless you were on an incline. Um, our other aircraft, of course, twin-engine airplanes, you you know you have to perhaps make a little more effort. So I suppose the um, the thing to come away with this is if you're put, got your backside towards the runway and you need to put some power on, try and have some situational awareness, and you should only ever use the minimum amount of power you need to get the aircraft moving. Um, so having said that. Uh, with your gear all still on the ground, he didn't even know if the nose wheel had risen yet. I think there's very little chance of the aircraft actually uh, rolling so far whilst its gear's still down uh, to have a wingtip strike, unless it had a very low wing. I, I don't know. There's a, f a few things here. I, I, I'm going, uh, for, in my experience, this would have been a non-event, but um, he obviously fought. You know, his first officer dealt with a an unusual situation one and felt, you know, perhaps he'll put it in writing. I can, you know, say right now the airplane that I fly is really not much larger than a large business jet. Uh, and I can tell you, and maybe not on this airplane, but on the previous one that I've flown, which again is not a is not a uh, Airbus, you know, 340-600 or a 747 jumbo jet or an L-1011 like I used to fly many years ago. And uh, you, I, I have experienced this, but uh, generally speaking, you are aware of the fact that it could be a factor. And this captain was kind of getting down on himself for the fact that he didn't have the SA that his FO did. But um, I think... Uh, the 757 pilot that advanced the thrust to a point where it affected this flight so much, um, maybe that pilot's essay wasn't great either and had maybe didn't think about the fact that what his action by pushing the throttles up um, so much, apparently, uh, would have on an aircraft you know, taking off. Maybe they thought Absolutely. that the tower controller wouldn't give takeoff clearance uh, you know, based on the particular situation. I don't know. Well, he's, uh, okay, just looking at it from uh, the guy that's uh, putting up the power, um, he's probably on the ground frequency. He's not on tower frequency. He wants to clear the runway, particularly if he's there. Might not have known that there was an aircraft uh, even taking off, to mm -hmm. be fair. I'm sure there was one lined up. Um, yeah. It's the left-hand side, so it's the captain. Uh, captain might be making a PA Alternatively, it might be a heavy uh, type freighter aircraft that's going to the cargo bay um, policy now or has been for some time. Bear in mind, I haven't flown an airplane for 12 years or something. Uh, but the policy is that you shut down an engine whilst taxiing um, to try and save fuel. And then, yeah, to get going, sometimes you have to put quite a bit of thrust on to get going. And the other thing that slightly perturbs me here communication again, if the FO had anticipated it all he had to say was we better watch out for jet blast yeah he didn't you know, just give that. a heads up to the other guy on the cockpit yeah and the last Good point the last point was uh you know he said to move a couple of feet uh right or something off the center line i thought 
Well, it's pretty good. I'd be happy with a couple of feet off the center line. <laughs> yeah, I don't think it was that concerned about the <laughs> lateral movement, more about the yeah, possibility the of striking yeah. the wingtip. And uh, Pip, in uh, the, speaking of the devil, uh, Plane Safety Podcast, he said, a large biz jet like a global has very little wingtip clearance at a high nose attitude. So if you were indeed in the rotation phase, um, it, it could have been a factor, possibly. So. Yeah, I've I've no doubt that my uh, opinions are colored by the size of the airplane. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, your three hundred and forty, you wouldn't even noticed that. Uh, no, I'd have probably gone right over this aircraft and not noticed. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> anyway, it was uh, good topics to discuss. Thank you, John uh, from Duluth, for sending in that great feedback. And uh, as I said from the earlier comment that you made about. You know the on being on the ramp with the air stairs and all that kind of stuff, and bringing back the old days and and thrill and passion of flying. I think we're all for that. Well, maybe not the hair stairs, but uh, the the thrill and passion and the adventure, romance. the romance. Yes, we, uh, we could all use some romance. Okay, um, <laughs> don't go there. Jeff. I'm not not going to go there. And with that, guess what time it is? It's the best part of the show, which is, of course. This week's installment of the old pilot's plane tales, four instructors went into a bar, dot, dot, dot. The old pilot's plane tale, four instructors walked into a bar. A half Australian instructor says, back home there's a bar where the barman buys you your fifth beer once you've drunk four. Well, says the first English instructor, back in Rutland, my local has a buy two and get one free policy. The second English pilot says, in my local in Bali, they give you double gin and tonics for the price of one after each fourth. Ah, says the Irish instructor, in Belfast, there's a bar where you get free drinks as soon as you walk in and they keep them coming all evening. Then they take you upstairs and you get non-stop sex all night. What? You've actually experienced this yourself? Ask the other three. Well, no, says the Irish pilot, but my sister has. And so begins the first of a few plain tales. A conversation between four old instructors who got back together for a reunion a little while ago. Little war story. When they went to Leckenfield, they did a... Uh, they were going to do a big fly past because they were handing the airfield back to the army so it was going away from the airfield. So they had press and people and flag waving and banners and marching and things, you know, and all sort of stuff going Cheers, on. Mate. And they were going to do a, um, a fly past. So of course, Cheers. On, the, on the day, the weather's really bad and they'd, they'd, they were planned, I don't know, a diamond nine or something stupid. <laughs> so they end up doing a four ship. So they get airborne in like 300 feet cloud base and they join up on top and they form up in a sort of a box four and they do a box four instrument approach and then they you know overfly over the airplane the airfield in box four then they reform an echelon go downwind a bit to do a high speed fly past Leckenfield and then a vertical climb into the cloud so the number two in the formation is a uh, deputy flight commander and the leader is the boss and the boss wasn't the sharpest knife <laughs> in the drawer <laughs> Number two is flying along and he feels the controls in this lightning get quite stiff and heavy, you know, and he has a look in and they're doing 0.98. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes, oh, so he presses the the transmit button and um, he says, 
speed boss. And there's this from the leader of Kraft is, uh, Roger, and the reheat's like. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let me tell a story about a student that I didn't realize at the time was exceptional. Um, I, I was still a junior B2QFI like we all were just then when we met mm -hmm. up actually. And uh, the first course had gone through and I was now the pilot nav instructor for the squadron because the rest of them were bloody air defenders who couldn't find their way around Wales. <laughs> so being the only Jaguar pilot, I was told to go and do some of the refresher students, uh, but they'd been off for nine months and these guys, I don't know, they only got about 10 hours or something, can you remember? And they did a quick refresher course. So you got a quick instrument rating, you got a quick formation flight, you got a quick low-level nav flight and whatever else was on the course. Um, aerobatics probably so I got this dude who'd come over from 3 Squadron and uh, I was told to take him off to the low flying area and this guy hadn't flown much for 9 months he hadn't been to low level properly he probably popped into the area so we took off from Valley and we head off over Wales Boyle and uh, I think you had to fly over Carnarvon Airport and you're at 2,000 feet before you could let down. Mm. Um, so we go over Carnarvon Airport. Oh, and avoid the uh, seagulls, of course. Mm. Um, mm. And so I said, OK, mate, you can drop down 250 feet now. And we're doing 420 knots. And this guy lets down to his idea of 250 feet. And I'm like, whoa, this is quite cool. Well, you know, I'll just give him a few minutes to settle in. And... Uh, He'll ease up and he'll get lost because it's only map and stopwatch, no fancy Nevoise or kit to show you where to go. He'll get lost. So I left him for five minutes and he's still on track on time. I thought, well, he's actually doing better at 150 feet than I could. <laughs> How high were you? About 150 feet. <laughs> so, uh, no, sorry. If, anyway, we're minimum height was 250, right? So probably about 251 feet. <laughs> and uh, if you remember, there were some pylons that ran north, south, and then we used to demonstrate the height so I said I have control blocks I won't give his name because he's probably an air chief marshal now or something and uh, we were going along these pylons that we used to teach were 160 feet high mm. and I said you see at the top of those pylons blocks he said yes sir because they called you sir in those days not mate um, yes sir I said they're 160 feet high do you remember that from your early course oh yes so what height are we well, we're below 160 feet, so, <laughs> <laughs> so he eased up to 250 feet, and he went round the whole Navex on track, on time, and I went, whoa, that's pretty good. I then got him for a formation flight, and if you remember, you took off from Valley, and you turned right off 04, picked up the 100 mm. radial, climbed out on the, what was it, 100 to avoid the airway, and then turned right into the local flying area. And we were number three, I think. Yeah, we were, we were number three. And uh, so we'd taken a bit of, in the snake climb, 30-second departure. Is that mm -hmm. what it was? You'd take off 30 seconds behind each other. And so um, the leader's now going along, and I think they used to go at about 250 knots or something like that. Um, and we weren't catching up, but we were doing 350. We were cooking down the back to catch up as number three. And that's just at the point where the leader had to turn right, otherwise he'd go into the next airway. So he said, going right, reducing to 200 at that point, I turned my microphone off because we've now got number two who's just about to join. We're doing 350. We've got 350 knots overtake on the leader who's just done a nine of us. And I'll, oh, this is going to be fun. And I kid you not, my boy, he went into a high-speed yo-yo 
and he dropped down into the waiting position before the number two got there. Good and look. then he just moved in. And I went, whoa. And that's, you know, looking back on it years later, that boy, he went off to Harriers. I don't know what he did then, but he was a bloody good operator. And being an inexperienced QF, I just didn't know. So that's the student story. There you go. I'll tell you a student story. Go on there. Um, again, I was a very new instructor, very inexperienced. And uh, I didn't really know when to intervene when things weren't going so well. Well, usually before you die. <laughs> I, I did that. I did that. But I've got a, uh, a student uh, who's just done a little bit of low-level navigation. And I was doing the introduction to IP to target runs. So you pick a distinct feature, which you can't miss for anything else. And then you use that to lead yourself into a you know, small feature like a bridge or a, a building, something of that order. And you're using a 50,000 scale ordnance server map with a big line drawn it. It's normally about a minute and a half long, something like that. Mm-hmm. So... First of all, I demo a IP to target run, one that I'd done about eight times, so I knew something <laughs> Because <laughs> being an air defender, I wasn't very good at this sort of stuff. So I get the IP to target run. I say, there's the target, or there's the IP, so we're going to go across it at wings level, uh, on speed, start the stopwatch, make sure there's any drift taken care of, and every like 20 seconds is a, a feature, and I'm just crawling my way up the map, and there's the target. Right, now you have a go. So I'll take him back to the IP, and he flies quite a nice IP to target run, overflies the target. Excellent. Now he's got to go to another IP that he's chosen himself, navigate his way there and fly a, an IP to target run he's not seen before. And we're no in, idea. And, nor that. <laughs> <laughs> and we're, in, we're in Scotland. But I had seen this IP to target run because we discussed it in the briefing. And he's uh, the, in fact, I'd, I think I'd given him the target and he had to choose the IP. But this IP to target run goes over Loch Ness. Now, if you've ever seen Loch Ness, it's, it's quite big, isn't it? Mm. It's quite a big Loch, Loch Ness. So we, the IP is to the south of Loch Ness, the target's to the north of Loch Ness, and Loch Ness bisects. There's a narrow bit of Loch Ness, but, uh, <laughs> but it was still Loch Ness. So the student then uh, sets off to find his IP, and his heading should have been uh, 010. But the student's head's 110. So he's like over 90 degrees away from the heading shooting on. And at, at this point, if I'd been a more experienced instructor, I'd have said, what's the heading to the IP? But I thought, well, we'll just see what happens. I thought, I'm not very good at that. So the student says, well, it's, it's 2 minutes 30 on this heading and we should see this, this uh, you know, hill with a wood on the side and there's a road down that way and there's an aerial, you know, 2 minutes 30. Would you believe it? There's a hill with a, with a, with a you know, woods on it and there's a road down there. And, and, and there's sort of like sort of an aerial, not that far away, you know. So the student says, well, that's the IP, absolutely certain. And he uh, overflies the IP on speed, on heading, all very nice. And he starts working along his way along the IP to target run, which is quite a long, it's about two minutes. And after about one minute, you go over a little Brava Hill and there is Loch Ness in all its splendour beneath you. So he goes up 15 seconds, a uh, little road on the right, yeah, it's a little road on the right, 30 seconds, a stream coming through, yeah, there's a stream, uh, 45 seconds, farmhouse, yeah, there's a farmhouse, and they go, one minute over the bridge, there's fields. <laughs> and of course, I'm in the back of the hawk, and I'm seeing this little bone dome in the front swivel from left to right, up to right, left to right, up to right. And, it, and he pops up from 250 feet to about 400, and you can tell what he's, what he's doing. He's thinking, where's, where's it? Where's it? Where's it? And then 
he says this. He says, well, it's been a very dry summer. (laughs) 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 And he he went on to be... um, uh, to the Empire Test Pilot School. Yeah, that's about right. He was actually very good, but uh, yeah, there we are. Rather than me being the, the, the student, I was a student uh, at Linton on News on, on the JP, and um, one of the first sorties you do is effects and controls. And I've got a brand new instructor, all the come off cameras and all the rest of it and so forth. And we go up, and you do, it's about 5,000 feet. And he's demonstrating the effects of controls, and, and then he, he shows, of course, if you if you misuse the controls too much, and he pulls a stick back and feeds a load of rudder in, and uh, and then I'm sat there as a student watching this, and, and suddenly we seem to be pointing vertically down with the, the, the ground spinning around now, and I'm, and I'm sitting there thinking, what, what height? 5,000 feet started. Oh, yeah. Uh, you put you in a spinner. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so, oh and, and, he, and my instructor went all quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sitting there going, "Well, he 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 knows what he's doing." <laughs> but I'm sure this this doesn't seem quite right to me. And he's he's totally silent, fighting the controls, <laughs> and eventually comes out of this spin and goes. Well, there, you can see what happens if you miss <laughs> the controls. And I'm going, oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. Yeah, okay, I'll, see that. I'll and, take that on board. And, and it wasn't until years later when I met him, because I said nothing. He said, uh, do you remember that effect of controls? Sort of? I said, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, I was um, selected to be the Lightning Air Display Pilot for the final season uh, that they were doing displays for Lightning. And... Um, the idea was you, you'd go to the squad and boss of the session commander with your, your sequence of events, you know, what were you going to do, you know, and they'd prove it. And then you go and practice it. You start off practicing at the safe height. And then as you get better at it, more proficient, more confident, you work the base height down towards, you know, safe height. Let's say 500 feet probably was the base height for your actual display on the day. So I'd done a couple of displays at 5,000 feet and I'd had a lot of problems with getting aircraft to do the displays in because we displayed in the Mark III and my squadron only had the Mark VI. Plus my squadron's aircraft were equipped with red top missiles and the Mark III's had fire streak. And the fire streak missiles have got wings on the missiles which alter the aerodynamic feel of the airplane. The Lightning Training Flight had all the Mark III, so we had to borrow them off the Lightning Training Flight, and I couldn't get them. So I'd only done, I think, three practices in about three weeks. Were they much different to fly? Yeah, yeah, because the Mark III was a lot lighter, and and the the fact they had the winged missiles on it meant that it was much more responsive in pitch, all of which I knew. But I hadn't had much experience in recent times flying the Mark III. Anyway, I go off to do this air display practice, and I notice that my uh, ventral fuel tank, the, the tank in the belly, which holds about 2,000 pounds of fuel, it was not feeding as quickly as I'd like it to feed into the wing tanks, which meant that the wing tanks were losing fuel, and I still had fuel in the belly tank. And the belly tank was after the center of gravity, but it's all within limits. It's within limits of the airplane. So I end up uh, going, and, and the aircraft was burning lots of fuel because I was in reheat for most of the split, of course. So I go into a slow roll, and as I enter the slow roll, the nose drops slightly when I'm inverted. I lose maybe you know, 50, 100 feet, or something like that. 
So I check forward in the control column to stop the nose dropping and trying to regain this lost altitude. Upside down. Upside down, as I'm rolling. And it's almost as though the control column is taken out of my hand. It sort of goes fully forward. And the aircraft pitches upwards uh, from an inverted position quite violently. So I've got significant negative G. And I could feel my helmet uh, rubbing against the canopy. Okay. And then the aircraft went into an inverted spin. At? Uh, but, well, 4,900 feet. <laughs> <laughs> I lost 100 feet in the uh, initial manoeuvre. And uh, I was below the minimum height to eject. Uh, for a lightning and spin, it should be 10,000 feet. For normal spin, I was inverted, so I, that gave me a bit of a negative head start. And I was at 5,000 feet. And I can remember thinking, oh, dear, that wasn't very good. <laughs> and um, Was there any recovery from no. inverted spin? Well, they just said central controls. But, uh, <laughs> but, but in fact, I was, I was, you know, the actual fuel distribution on the airplane was meant I was outside the normal flight envelope. So I'm not sure that would have worked. But, but anyway, so uh, I was looking at the ground coming up to meet me. And um, I was pretty well convinced I was not going to survive it. The, um, the canopy came off the airplane. And I remember, uh, and it's strange how your thought processes work in, in these sort of situations. I remember thinking, God, this airplane's a real heap of shit. Can you say shit? <laughs> not only is it spinning inverted and the fuel's not fitting properly, the canopy's just come off by itself. <laughs> and and the, 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 uh, you know, the cockpit's full of air and noise and wind and stuff going on. And... Um, and I looked down into, into my into sort of my, my harness, and I realised that my right hand was holding the seat pan handle, and I could see my right hand about probably six eight inches in the air. I could see the shiny, <laughs> the shiny cable. I could see the shiny cable. I could see the fastening on it. Uh, and then I thought, I know what's happened. I'm, I'm in. I've ejected, I've decided to <laughs> But I made no, I made no uh, yeah. conscious decision. No. And then the next thing was, was the seat, the seat fired. And I remember, you know, being, being in the seat, tumbling and being very disorientated with stuff that was going on and hearing things like clockwork motors going tick, 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 and, and the thing bangs and rubber bungees even going boing. Like, <laughs> we were hearing all this yeah. stuff. Yeah. And... Um, then the parachute opened and I was probably at five or six hundred feet and I remember um, having been sort of out of it for a little while and then it's as though there was sort of like a woof and I'm back in my body again and I'm back on, in control of the situation so I'm going okay check out make sure the canopy is probably deployed inflate the life jacket go through the drill we were taught and then start preparing for the parachute landing. But unfortunately, the parachute landing happened before I was prepared for it. <laughs> I got there first. I got there first. And as regards to remembering stuff that happened during the ejection, the interesting thing is that by the time I got to the medical centre, all those memories had gone. I couldn't remember it. But I could remember being able to remember it, mm. if you understand well, what I mean. Yeah. And my, 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 my mind probably went... You know what? You don't need to remember this stuff. It's it's, oh, it's cool. not it's not important to remember it. In fact, it's best if you take all these memories <laughs> and put them in a box and lock them up. Yeah, and don't tell the board of inquiry. <laughs> and, and never <laughs> never open again. So what the lightning? Presumably it made a oh, nice it, big it hole. It made a nice ground. big hole. Uh, it crashed directly beneath me, uh, and I remember seeing this great big orange and black fireball billowing up towards me. But uh, in fact, it was probably it was clear at hundred feet or so. And I then drifted a little bit further um, downwind and landed in the farmer's field. 
sorry, the aircraft landed Thomas Field, I landed on the airfield near the windsock. And I remember uh, lying flat on my back with very sore legs, but looking up at the sky, remembering just how blue the sky was. and mm. thinking, that sky is amazingly blue. I've never seen a more beautiful <laughs> sky than that. And then there's a great big fireman up and he says, oh, you're right, sir, right, sir. You know, and then it's all ambulances and, you know, things like that. My enormous thanks to uh, Barry, DL and Nigel for their recollections of flying and instructing. Uh, there'll be more again one day soon. Well, I certainly hope so. That was very entertaining. Thank you so much for <laughs> recording that. Seriously, one of one of my favorites there. That was, <laughs> really uh, that was our pleasure. Uh, it was uh, in the middle of a long afternoon of uh, of, of uh, memor- uh, remembering uh, lots of things we'd done together, and it was actually quite hard to try and stop and then say, right, we're going to go and stand around a mic now and, and tell some more stories. <laughs> it came out all right, I thought. But we've oh, got yeah. plenty more. Actually, Ooh. there's probably enough for another couple of, yeah. couple uh, of planes. It's fun. It's fun. I mean, honestly, seriously, you had two guys there in a spin at 5,000 feet, <laughs> both of them unintentionally. You just think... Well, Dave's instructor should have actually given Barry a lesson because then he wouldn't have got into spinning a lightning by himself. <laughs> yeah, they're all all, uh, all great characters. So uh, it was an absolute pleasure to see them all again. Well, it was an absolute pleasure listening to it. And as uh, Steph mentioned in our private chat, we're going to have to listen to this several more times because it's Yeah, some of the accents might be a little unusual for you. (laughs) No, not at all. Understood. The stories stories were that good that it's like, like, it'll make me laugh even more the next time around, probably. That's that's really good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was still laughing. But both Nigel and I were still laughing. I mean, I've heard them three times now and I'm still laughing at Barry. (laughs) See? That's exactly. And then the canopy disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> I know, right? What a and piece the way of he crap. told that story was so good. Was like, oh, he's a great wreck on The parachute landing happened before I was ready. That made me laugh. Really hard. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I'll look forward to the next one anyway. Yes. All right. Well, hey, Steph, mm. we, uh, you weren't here when we did our Getting to Know Us segment, and I no. uh, thought that perhaps you could uh, get us all caught up with what's been happening with you since the last mm. show. I guess I, I could do that. Okay. What? When did we record our last show? Uh, last week. <laughs> Someone's going to have to tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, these dates and times yeah. and things. I don't know. I'm uh, waiting for Liz to tell me. Uh, what yeah, was that? Last week. Was, uh, last Monday. All right, well, last not much Monday. The 12th. Last, yeah. oh, it's been a while then. So. It has. Okay. Uh, Nine days. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. Did anything Stuff interesting happened. happen You probably last flew. Week? I worked. Probably ran a couple marathons. Last- I worked all week last week. I did not do a great job of running last week, although I did get my, I think I got a 14-mile run in over the weekend, so that was, that was good. Um, flying definitely happened. I I actually made a couple of skydives last weekend, two, actually, I think. Um, that was fun. And this week has been really busy with work. I have not gotten a lot of sleep in the past two days, as I've mentioned before, so I apologize for my... Um, fatigue it's mostly self-induced um and part of it did involve moving airplanes around and flying them for maintenance purposes the past evening so 
What about those poor people that you're poking with needles and stuff? They probably I didn't poke anyone with a needle today. Oh, yeah. Actually, that's not true. I poked one person with a needle today. Oh, okay. Uh, On purpose? A little small. Yeah, yeah, on purpose. (laughs) (laughs) They willingly gave consent for. for But they deserved it. (laughs) Um, But yeah, that's. um, I think that's most of it. None of it was terribly exciting. Um, I'm trying to think if there was anything that was really exciting. No, it's mostly just been me being busy doing the the usual. Um, So you weren't uh, like arrested or anything? No, there was no, you know, no run-ins with law enforcement this week. It makes for very boring getting to know you segments. Yeah. I did fly through um, the triads airspace twice yesterday, but I don't believe it was anyone we knew on the radio. Certainly not the first time because it was a female voice. Um, I don't know any other female Well, you never know what those blokes get up to at the weekend. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) (laughs) And I'll actually actually be up their way on Friday, but I think... Um, at least one of them is going to Oshkosh, if I recall correctly, or both. I'm not sure. Yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe both of them mm. are going or not, but Maybe definitely RHs. RHs, yeah. 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 Uh, so I was going to message them for uh, see if they want to get together for either coffee in the morning or a beer in the evening, and I, I'm not sure if they'll be there or not. So depends on when they go to Oshkosh, I suppose. Um, but I will be there to. Uh, participate in the U.S. Masters Nationals Swimming Championships, which sounds very impressive, but what? please don't mm. be uh, confused uh, or, or, or uh, impressed by my swimming abilities. I have not swam very much in the past mm, 10 years or so, um, but because of COVID and, and everything else, and they may do this regularly anyway, but I'm not sure. Um, when I was looking at the information for it online, you could sign up for three events without any sort of qualifying time whatsoever. And all three events I wanted to swim were on the same day, so I'm going to do that on Friday. And I have done no training for this whatsoever. It's probably going to go spectacularly poorly for me. I'll be very tired, <laughs> even more so than I already am, but it should be fun. Three events on the same day? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, good the, luck. The 100-yard individual medley, the 50-yard backstroke, and the 100-yard freestyle. Don't forget your water wings. Mm, that would help. So I stay afloat. <laughs> yeah. Might slow you down a little bit. Uh, yeah. A little bit of extra drag. Yeah. Yeah. But there's some parallels. Drowning. Yes. Preferable. Definitely preferable. I don't want to have to make the, you know, the one lifeguard who's sitting there like bored out of their mind watching all these people who swim on a regular basis back and forth across. Yeah. Well, don't want to have to luck. make, don't want to have to overtax him, make him work Just too hard. Don't come last. Okay. Promise. So interestingly, um, and I, I don't know if this has to do with COVID or not, but in my particular age group, so you really, I don't think they even do overall. I think they just. Sorry, uh, sorry, Steph, which group yeah. is that? The age group? Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, 30, <laughs> 35 to 39. Sorry. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm still a lot younger than we are, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Particularly yeah. Nigel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is seniority order, right? There, exactly. exactly. Um, there's, especially in a few of the events, there's only five or six of us. So as long as I don't suck too bad, I have a chance of actually getting a, 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 maybe a third, maybe a third place medal. Yeah. Maybe I'm definitely not going to take first at any of these events. The people who are fastest are way faster than I have ever been. Um, but the rest of us are all just kind of, meh. well, I don't know. Your expertise with a syringe might come in useful. I don't know if you encounter them before the 
<laughs> Accidentally. Oh, full, sorry. Yeah, oh, for the swim. Yeah. Oh, oh, did I just? Uh, oh, ow, what was that? <laughs> I Nova came. Just... Wouldn't that be fun? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I can't move my arm very well right now. Um, poor swimming. Just something to think about. Something to think. Yes. About. Uh, no, that should be fun. It's something a little different. I have it. I, I swam in that uh, meet once before in Greensboro, but that was like 2012. And I actually was swimming at that time on a regular basis. Is this something that's televised? No. <laughs> no? no? I shouldn't have, sorry. Uh, especially <laughs> not since the Olympics are starting the same day. Oh, yeah, that might take precedence. Uh, choice. Yeah, or maybe tough somebody's choice. putting it online or something, maybe? Uh, I think you can find it online. I'm not sure if you can see it. You can watch anything. There's definitely news about it through. Uh, oh. I'll send. I'll put, I'll give you a link for U.S. Masters Nationals and. Um, well, just bring your medal along next week. Yeah. Sounds good. I'm, I'm sure she'll be displaying it. I'll probably yeah. come in fourth place in every event and be just shy of having any. <laughs> good luck, Steph. We're all wishing Thanks. you well, aren't we, uh, Nick? Oh yes. Oh yes. <laughs> She's a gold medal winner in our. Appreciate that, Nigel. Yeah. Thank you. Those are saying and you're Nick. a gold medal win, winner in our in uh, our hearts. Nice. No, this is this is just for fun, just for for something different to do. An excuse. I mean, to I was thinking about of, doing the same it's, thing. It's an excuse but... to take a day off of work and an excuse to do a mileage run to Greensboro from Charlotte, which is totally drivable, which I'm not going to do. Okay. Mm-hmm. Very cool. It's like Eighty-three miles away. Hmm. Yeah, you'd be there a lot faster if you just drove, right? Maybe. Yeah. Who knows? I don't know. Probably a wash. Yeah. All right. Anything else? Like you need anything else? No, I think that's it. All right. That's enough. Let's uh, do some more feedback. What do you think? Sounds good. Go for it. Uh-oh. You know what that means? Would you like to? Uh, this is from Mazuts, and he says, Dear all, uh, just a quick email. I suspect you may have come across this already, but I thought I should draw it to your attention, particularly as I know how much of a keen interest Captain Nick has in <laughs> balloon <laughs> flying. Best I've been wishes. trying to tell you all. <laughs> he says, best wishes, Mazuts. And uh, so the article here, I'm going to share this. I had it all set up in everything. Um, emergency hot air balloon landing in Sutton in Asheville. Uh, video shows the moment a hot air balloon crashes in Nottinghamshire. Uh, how'd I do? Town center. Good, good. Thank yeah, you. I'm getting excellent. better. I got sounds better. Like somewhere in America. <laughs> yeah. Oh, come on. Nottinghamshire. I, I did not say it like that at Actually, all. Actually, we probably say Nottinghamshire or something silly. Yeah. Like put the emphasis in the wrong Well, here places. we go. Jeff, we go. you did better than that. Thank you. Appreciate it, Nigel. Uh, so we have, I, I'm not hearing any volume out of this. Maybe it's because I need to turn up the volume over here. Here we go. Hot air balloon noises. Uh, as you can see on the video, if you're watching the video, uh, William Bailey, uh, Oopsie. something building services, services engineers. engineers. Guess they're not balloon engineers. <laughs> Flight engineers. And the cops. And the, oh, the cops are on the on the scene to kind of uh, arrest these uh, reckless pilots. Yeah, um, definitely not to make sure that they're like a danger safe and to okay. aviation and pedestrians. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and turn that off now, so we can read the uh, article. 
the footage taken on Saturday, July 10th, shows a hot air balloon crashing down. Well, I wouldn't call that crashing down. Next to the Idlewalls Shopping Center in Sutton and Ashfield Town Center, where it reportedly crashed onto the roof of the Nags Head Pub next door. Oh, that's that's the sad part that's of the serious. story. Yeah, serious. I know. And we had to. <laughs> we were forced right, down next to the right under the roof Absolutely. of the pub. You know, see, we also went past an opticians. <laughs> 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 if only it's out there before the flight, he might have been able to see better where he was going. Okay, the aircraft was forced to perform an unexpected landing in the shopping center service yard opposite Lloyd's Bank on Forest Street. The pilot, sixty-nine-year-old. Andrew Davidson described the incident as a, quote, once-in-a-lifetime incident. We well, hope so. <laughs> for my beer. <laughs> a hot air balloon navigator for 35 years. Not pilot, navigator. You say not pilot. No, no. There aren't, there's no such thing as a hot air balloon pilot. They're just along for the ride. Yep. Uh, he said, these sorts of incidents very rarely occur. Uh, the group took off from Bramcote Park and planned to fly for an hour and land in the open countryside. Instead, the aircraft was forced into a surprise landing right next to the Nags Head pub due to a lack of fuel. I've highlighted that. I'm often surprised by the lack of fuel. Wait, no, never. Lack of beer. Um, A lack of beer, maybe, Liz says. Lack of beer, yes. Yeah, you said, this is a once in a lifetime for me. Yeah, it better be. It's a most unusual (laughs) event. It was a forced landing. In other words, you don't choose to land in that particular location. (laughs) Briefly, thank you for clarifying. I uh, was already looking for fields to land in and found nothing suitable. And so I found myself over Sutton and Nashville with insufficient fuel to clear the built-up area. The only way to stop the balloon was to hit the far wall of the shopping center. So we hit the far wall at about five hour, five miles per hour. We have to avoid livestock. We have to avoid power lines. And we have to avoid standing crop if possible. Yes. But not so much people or buildings. That's no, yeah, no. I of all the things you have to avoid, you don't, obviously don't have to avoid shopping centers. That's, that's, <laughs> that's all the next head. Yeah, all the next <laughs> head. Yeah. Sounds lovely. Yeah. Almost always you uh, can find a field that you can land in, at least in my experience. Uh, I was Ooh, just nice. unable to do so on that occasion. Yeah, duh. Except this once <laughs> when I had no fuel. Officers from British Transport Police spotted the balloon coming down and rushed to the scene. Once there, they provided first aid to those involved in the crash before helping to get the balloon back under control. It's been confirmed that one person suffered minor injuries in the incident. Uh, British Transport Police shared an image of the crash with their officers helping to write the balloon on the force's Twitter page. I don't have that picture, sorry. Uh, The BTP Nottinghamshire accounts tweet said, now this isn't something that happens very often. While stop patrol officers have witnessed a hot air balloon crashing in Sutton and Asheville Town Center. Uh, Officers have assisted with first aid and before helping get the balloon under control. All right. I wonder if they breathalyzed the pilot. Hmm. Had he already or been into the next? Yeah, before or after the next? <laughs> <Before, after. laughs> yeah. Do you know? I bet nobody sued him for a hundred thousand bucks either. Yes, that's yes, yeah, that's yeah. a very good point. Yeah. yeah. Well, an interesting story for sure. Thank you, Mazuts, for uh, yes. regaling us with that or making us oh, aware just of it. Reinforces my opinion <laughs> of hot air balloons. And Grant McCarran, we apologize. Just send your feedback directly to Nick. To I, uh, Nick hates balloonetics at airlinepilotguy.com. <laughs> um, Tony uh, in Aberdeen uh, sent uh, this. He says, hi, APGers. Great show. Fifth of July, for, uh, episode 480. Regarding the wind farm in Scotland, I wanted to fly into Aberdeen once, but could not get permission to land. 
Little do people know that Aberdeen is the UK's busiest airport with more traffic movements than Heathrow. The reason for this is that 90% of its traffic is large helicopter traffic taking people out to the oil rigs offshore. I'm guessing with the terrible weather in that region, they don't want people to know how low they sometimes have to fly. Your well, friend, I hope Tom. they don't go via Stonehaven to get to, get to the oil rigs because that's like the wrong way, you know, 90 degrees out of their way. But right. don't worry about that. It was a dry summer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they're helicopter pilots. Come on. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Well. One step up from the balloon pilot. Just, <laughs> just yeah. barely. Sorry. Now I'll just get all the helicopters. Sorry, Mike Cochran. <laughs> and everybody else that's a helicopter pilot out there. We're just I, kidding don't mean that at all i promise yeah she does i do dr stuff at airline pilot guy <laughs> all right um oh let's see this is something that i'm gonna have to share a video for jason payne sent this uh he said i shot this video while hanging out at medford oregon kilo mike foxtrot romeo this morning it's an md87 ericsson tanker which was working a nearby fire the crew rejected the takeoff for unknown reasons and got it safely off the runway. Anyway, I thought of you when I saw this unique mad dog and I wanted to pass along the video. I love the show and have been in listening have been listening since 2015. Thanks for all you and the crew do. Blue skies, Woo-hoo. Jason mm-hmm. Payne and Thanks, I Jason. Be- believe I can share this video file that he actually took with his very own camera. And uh, all I have to do is just find it. Here it is, MD-87 tanker open. Here we go. There's the uh, Mad Dog taking the runway, applying takeoff thrust. Yeah, it does sound familiar, Liz. Yeah, like a thousand bolts being shaken (laughs) in the back. Don't do it! Don't do it! Stop! When you when you oh. have the chance. Oh, wait a minute! For that, he stopped. Oh, oh there's uh, the reverse. Reverse thrust. Wow, yep. The Definitely a rejected takeoff. Yeah, they were probably pretty heavy, Liz, with all that fire retardant stuff on board. It's so cool, though, to get a member of our community to actually send us, like, their own footage of uh, mm-hmm. an event like That's this. Brilliant. Yeah. The lovely thing is, of course, if they'd had a fire on board, all they could have done was just empty the... Uh, like, release trip. the contents yeah, into release the... the <laughs> release oh, yeah, the true. I'm sure that is possible. Yeah, carrying their own fire suppression system with them. That's kind of cool. All right. Well, thank you again, Jason, for sending that in. We really do appreciate it. Thanks for thinking about us. Thanks for being a listener and part of our community for so many years. And we do appreciate that as well. Now, here's an interesting one, I think. And again, I'm going to share this because you will want to watch this video if you haven't already. This is from Rob. He says, the first decent looking flying car I've ever seen. This is from avweb.com and also a YouTube video from the company itself. And let's go ahead and play it, see what happens here. The flying car completes the first ever intercity flight. Science fiction is now a reality. So here's the car on a grass airstrip rolling down. 
I guess I should say the airplane. Oh, watch out for that airplane over there. Oh, those are chase airplanes. Never mind. Uh, it's a twin boom, twin tail in the back. Um, single pusher prop. What do they call that? Uh, yeah, pusher prop. And there's just music going on. I'm going to turn that down a little bit. Very dramatic. Very dramatic music, though. Yeah, very inspiring. And so the uh, guys, I, I was hoping he'd like really start doing some big banks and, you know. He's looking for the Yeah, let's see some pub. like steep turns at least. Yeah, steep she turns or something. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> Liz says he's looking for the Nags Head pub. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, and you'll have to watch, if you're not watching the video, you'll have to uh, look at the show notes and watch this. It's pretty cool. I mean, this is, as um, uh, Rob said, this is one of the best looking flying cars, other than the Jetsons car, of course, uh, that I've seen. And uh, so they've completed their intercity flight. This is cool, though, this part where the uh, showing the wings uh, fold up like a little transformer kind of vehicle and so the wings are kind of pivoting backwards and inside the twin tail twin boom tail and then the horizontal stab is coming forward kind of give it a little less length now he's going to the pub now he's driving to the pub <laughs> yes <laughs> yep there we go he's on the street and uh, and a hot air balloon lands on top of him. <laughs> it was so sad. <laughs> I wonder what fuel he uses. Come on, then. Has he got two engines? How does this work? No, I'm think? betting it's yeah. probably just uh, regular, regular automobile. Gas. You can fuel. use regular, regular motor car fuel in... Mogas. Mm -hmm. yeah. the prop as well? Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's the engine it's that runs the car the also runs the prop. It's a BMW, I think, 160 horsepower engine, at least in this prototype. I think they're going to be putting a bigger engine in on the production models. And so they're pulling into... it's great. Isn't that it's cool? really great. All right. Very so cool. let me uh, turn that off, and then let's look at some other pictures here. Another uh, still of the car. So Slovakia-based Klein Vision. Successfully flew its air car rotable aircraft prototype from Nitra to Bratislava this week. The 35-minute flight marks the first time the vehicle has traveled between two cities. Described as a dual-mode car aircraft vehicle, the air car is equipped with a 160-horsepower BMW engine and features an automated transition time of less than three minutes. That's pretty impressive, actually. Mm. This flight starts a new era of dual transportation vehicles, said pilot company co-founder Stefan Klein. It opens a new category of transportation and returns the freedom originally attributed to cars back to the individual. To date, the two-seat uh, the two-seat air car prototype one has flown for over 40 hours, reaching altitudes of up to 8,200 feet and a top speed of 190 kilometers per hour, 103 knots. And uh, according... Oh, Oh, it looks like Steph is trying to say goodbye. Is she already gone? You want to say, no, say goodbye? No, I finished the story. I'll, I'll go in a second. Okay. According to Klein Vision, the Prototype 2 model will be equipped with a 300-horsepower engine and capable of 300 kilometers per hour, 162 knots cruise speed, with a 1,000-kilometer range, or 500 nautical mile, That's 540 
Yeah, the company is pursuing EASA CS23 aircraft certification with an M1 road permit for the vehicle. Four versions of the air car are reportedly in the works, including two-seat, four-seat, twin-engine, and amphibious models. Wow. Wow. They have lots Pretty of goals amazing. there. Yeah, they do. Hmm. Well, I'll have to get an amphibious model for... On water and in the air. Yeah. And on the road, maybe. Yeah. On yeah. the road. car. Yeah. So I can drive it into the lake and then take off. I get to work so much faster. Yeah, exactly. You you're not going to be able to. The cues on the motorway. You Wake know, and when... land, Steph. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> ah, there's an airport close enough to. Well. Yeah, but how are you going to dump the jumper dumper the the jumpers? No, 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 no. no. She's going to work. Oh, he's going to work. This That's is completely music. different. Oh, uh, gotcha. Yeah, this is, this is not working. Uh, okay, now I now I get. It. Yes. Um, but yes, as you alluded to, I'm so sorry. I have to go. There's um, some stuff I need to go take care of. This was a brief visit, but yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad so glad I got to be here and see you guys and uh, Captain Nigel. See you, see you, Steph. And, yeah, yeah. Um, but just let me know um, what you're thinking next week and all that good stuff as usual. So okay, we'll all communicate right. all that to you. Sounds and thanks good. for popping in. Yeah. All right. Good night, all everyone. Good luck. See you. Cheers. Bye. And thanks for all the fish. Is that what they say? You got about yeah. 10 minutes till the three hour mark, Jeff. Okay. 10 minutes to the three hour mark, Liz is telling us. So let's uh, knock out maybe one more piece of feedback and then we can uh, end it from there. And this is from Chris. Um, and he has, uh, let's see, below is a link to an excellent interview of a female pilot that just received her commercial rating. She has a great story, as her father was a pilot in the Canadian Air Force, then went to commercial service and flew the 787 at the end of his career. Oh, full chat. The, uh, yeah, too bad. Young lady speaks very well, is smart, and her story is quite nice to hear. It's more FYI if you have time, as I think you might enjoy it. Thanks for the great podcast. And this is Chris Eidsvik from Mount Washington, B.C., Canada. He's the one that sent in the thing about the guy working on the hydro lines. Oh, okay. Uh, Liz is telling us that, or telling me, and I'm I'm telling you, he's the guy that sent in that uh, video of that guy working on that super high uh, altitude, high tension uh, transmission transmission oh, the helicopter, the, the helicopter, yeah, the yeah. helicopter, yeah, wrapping those anti vibration uh, yeah things around. Exactly, we discovered that came job. became part of our a big part of our uh, titling and artwork for the show, didn't it? Or at least it had something to do with it. Um, You never know, really. Oh, you know, I keep forgetting to uh, make that part of our getting to know us segment, kind of talk about the artwork that uh, you did from the previous show. Dang it. Well, maybe I'll remember next time. Um, Anyway, uh, so he he gives us this link uh, um, via Apple Podcasts. But again, the the show is called, or the, the podcast is Pilot to Pilot Podcast. Episode 178 featuring Pilot Alexis. And uh, so uh, do check out the show notes to find the link to this and take a listen. And I, I listened to a little bit of it, not the full thing, and it's very interesting. So thank you, Chris, for sending that in. And with that, I think this would be a good time to wrap it up. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're going to go ahead. Oh, we should have done this before Steph left. And now... 
do we think Nigel would be the guy to do the? Um, oh yeah, he knows it all. Social media. Before we do that, uh, Airline Pilot Guy is our website, airlinepilotguy.com, where you'll find all kinds of information <laughs> about the. Oh, is, is somebody feigning uh, a coughing fit when they can't? Um, yeah, there we go. <laughs> or was that you, Liz? I can't do anything. Tell. No. And I'm sorry, Jeff, I can't uh-huh. Yeah, right. My I've voice heard that before. He needs more beer. Yeah. Anyway, airlinepilotguy.com. It's a great site. Check it out. And there's all kinds of stuff there. And I'm not going to tell you what. You're going to have to figure it out yourself by going there right now. Well, not right now, after you listen to the show. And we're also on social media or what we like to or like to, I like to call it the social meds. And uh, Nigel, come on, put the glass down. Take it away. Yeah, mate, I've lost my voice. I can't tell you anything. You can go to Twitter and they've got some airline pilot guys there. And you can go <laughs> no. to Facebook and okay. they've got some airline pilot guys. Got the drift. Yeah. Yeah, you're <laughs> not. Fastaf. Okay. Do you, are you can look I at help? the screen? Yeah, please do. Please. please. All right. Uh, Instagram and Twitter. All right. They're both APG crews. So it's at APG crew at uh, Twitter. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, uh, we're also on Facebook. And you can what? find out lots about stuff uh, there. And we're uh, feedback. Uh, what? Uh, no, not feedback. Ad. Sorry. What are you trying to do? Just sabotaging you. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Facebook is uh, Airline Pilot Guy. Uh, there you go. Just search that. You'll find us. And if you want to send feedback, then please email in to uh, uh, I'm offended at, uh, no, I'm sorry, at feedback at airlinepilotguy.com. There you go. And if you want to send audio feedback with that, just use whatever recorder your device uh, has and then attach it to the email. Or you can go to our website. We have a speak pipe uh, link as well where you can just click that button and and record some audio. I think there's like a limitation on the length, though, as far as the uh, time frame is concerned. But anyway, check it out, airlinepilotguy.com. And we also have um, something else, I think. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, it's called Slack. Hillel? I don't see Hillel. Where's Hillel? Slack? He's behind you. Oh, there he is. With Jeff, the soap. Do you still have some of that good shampoo from the last place? No. You used it all last time. Ah, all right. Come over here and tell us about Slack. APG listeners, please join us on our Slack team. Slack is a communication, coordination, and sharing platform that works on your mobile, laptop, or browser. On Slack, we share news and ideas. We suggest episode and plain tales topics. We plan events and meetups. To get into the Slack team, please email me at slack at airlinepilotguy.com. That's S-L-A-C-K, Sierra Lima Alpha Charlie Kilo at airlinepilotguy.com. Or send me a tweet with your preferred email address to at Hillel, and I'll send you an invitation. That's Hillel, spelled Hotel India 11 Echo 1, and see you in Slack. All right. Thank you, Hillel. And also, we want to give a big round of applause to our producer-director, Liz Piper in Toronto. And we're going to be missing you on your own. I know. I'm I'm kind of scared because uh, all of this stuff that you're doing in the background, we're going to have to do ourselves next week and possibly for the next couple of weeks. No, no, you mean you're going to have to do yourself. Oh well, I'm gonna. Somebody's gonna have to do it. Probably me. Yeah. <laughs> I'm right. I Okay. Do it. Well, maybe somebody else can help. But anyway, uh, regardless, <laughs> we'll stumble through it somehow, and it'll just make us appreciate 
Liz that Aww. much more. So oh, thank you, Liz. Okay. I hope you have a great time on your Absolutely. vacation up in the cabin. And uh, yeah, yeah, we will miss you though, for sure. And uh, with that, uh, thank you, Nigel, for joining us today. It was a treat. Definitely my pleasure. Thank you. And uh, thank you very much. And I'd love to have you on again sometime in the future. And with that, we're going to go ahead and sign off and say, wishing you all clear skies, unlimited visibility, and tailwinds. Take care, and God bless. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Day. I used to be such a good, good pilot. Till I started APG I opened doors for little old ladies I helped them to their seats Airline, not a guy I fly I'm always flying I just don't have the time But I can land this old plane I can land it just fine Airline, not a guy I fly